Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For 45 yards, all the way, it's good. I appreciate that. How about this beautiful trophy? Huh? Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party! Let's get nasty here on a Monday afternoon. Jamie Rivers here on the fast lane, trying to undo my headphones. Joined by Michelle Smallman. How are you doing today, Michelle? I am doing fabulous, Jamie. It is so great to hang out with you today. And we are about to get nasty because there is a lot of nastiness that happened in the world of sports over the weekend. And I can't wait to dive into it with you today. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive right into the Chiefs and Bengals yesterday. because, And we'll talk about the game in a second. But I really want to get your opinion on the back and forth because I know I think you you like to see some of this I don't want to call it drama but we'll call it extracurriculars <laughs> and we got the we had the Cincinnati mayor saying it was Burrowhead Stadium mm-hmm. now and then of course the Kansas City Chiefs players not enjoying uh, the fact that uh, that was said and then they've clapped back post game now what's your take on the back and forth do you enjoy that part of it of course I do. It's gamesmanship. I, I love the storylines of two different teams jawing at each other before they enter a big game like that. It sets the stakes higher. And listen, should the mayor have gone out and made the video? I don't know. If, if the Bengals win, he is sitting pretty today. You know, in retrospect, it's always if you win, you look good. But I, I we've seen that before with mayors too, by the way. But if I was the Chiefs, I would have taken that very personally too. Yes, I know Joe Burrow has gone into Arrowhead and he has exerted his will. But if he's going to disrespect your house and then they don't get the job done, you better believe I'm grabbing the mic just like Travis Kelsey did. And I'm going to check you too. That's exactly what I would have done. What do you think? I think we're witnessing the birth of a true rivalry. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for it. Like so many times we see these players, uh, whether we call it a rivalry between teams or not, but then there's really no heat added to it. Okay, there are two teams that are competing, and so we call it a rivalry. But I feel like this one actually has the juice. Finally, you know, you got Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, you got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, both guys are so well-liked publicly and, and, you know, nationally. Everybody loves those guys. They're great talents. They're great personalities. But now you've got a little bit of friction between the cities. And the best part about it is that both of these teams are going to be good for the foreseeable future. And I think that for me to have a rivalry or to have something that's heated up like this, both teams have to be competitive. It can't be like one team just absolutely throttling the other team all the time. 
I couldn't agree with you more in every facet of what you just said because this is a rivalry and it's going to continue hopefully for a long time as long as both of these guys stay healthy and the team can stay consistent around them. Both of these guys are the real deal. We know who Patrick Mahomes is, and he just confirmed yesterday that we have disrespected him this season and that he is who he, he has been all along. But Joe Burrow is also that guy. What did Damien Woody say? He's that dog. He is here to stay as well. And it's like the next iteration of Manning Brady, except there is more hatred between these two teams. And I think we need more of that in sports. It's, it's good-natured, and it also is exactly why we love sports. We love to go into games like this with negative feelings about one team or the other and when you do have two quarterbacks who are that talented and that well liked sometimes you need um outside forces to generate a little bit of the drama but i'm with you it was great and that's why i hate the way this game ended because it should have been all about the game and i hate that it was outside forces that may or may not have determined the ending of this game Ooh, all right michelle so let's 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 get it out on the table right now let's go. what outside forces are you unhappy with well, I didn't think six minutes into the show we'd be doing the officiating thing. I thought maybe it would be a slow burn, but let's just go, Jamie. Well, let's Michelle, go right into you it. You drug it right in here, You're okay? You're right, I did. You're right, I did. But when you have a game like this where both teams are playing their guts out, for at the end of the game it to come down to officiating, for them, for the officials to let the Chiefs redo a down in the fourth quarter with the game on the line and then even though it was the right call at the time to have an unnecessary roughness call be the reason that the Chiefs get in field goal range with three seconds left in order to win the game I hate that that's the way that this game ended. Yeah I, I thought yesterday too come the end of both games I was like man officiating is going to be at the forefront of this and it, whether it's justifiably uh, what was justifiable or not, mm -hmm. it, it's a tough one. So if, if you go down, if you go back to the Eagles game, which we'll jump into uh, in a little bit as well, there were some missed calls as well in that game, but nobody really focuses on that because, well, for lack of better words, it was a blowout. So what would, you know, one punt being redone because it hit the wire up above, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about that because it, oh, that game was over and it was a blowout. But when you get to this game here and for the very specific reasons, that we have already talked about this rivalry, the temperature being elevated between these two well, fan bases and these two football teams, missed calls or calls that people feel are missed is going to, that's what's going to be talked about. And so if I look at the game last night, yeah, there's a few calls that obviously should have been, you know, changed or could have been different. The, the unnecessary roughness one, that's just a donkey play. Mm -hmm. At the end of the game there, you know the quarterbacks are being protected left and right. You've got Patrick Mahomes, who's already hobbled on a bad leg. If you don't think the officials are going to be looking for an opportunity to flag somebody because they, you know, overstepped the boundaries on Patrick Mahomes, you know they're going to. Of course. He's running out of bounds. He's already touched the out-of-bounds line with his one foot, and then you drill him. And, of course, then Patrick Mahomes, he sells it. Of course he does. He looks like one of those crash test dummies <laughs> that's being drugged down the highway. He's like, bam, you know, everywhere. There's a yard sale going on. And you add on the 15 yards, and it puts a field goal kicker in not, I won't say can't miss territory, but for him, it was pretty close to can't miss territory. So I, I hate the fact that it was a penalty, but at the same time, I look at the individual, the player, in that particular sequence and go, what are you doing? Oh. And I felt bad for him because he's sitting there at the end of the game crying mm. into his helmet. I've been there. I've made some really stupid plays at times. Trust me. And it sucks, but you have to have yourself under control in those moments. And he didn't. 
And so the officiating throughout the game, I thought it kind of the the blown play where the referee was he was running onto the field, but they couldn't hear his whistle, so mm-hmm. they gave them a down over. All of that was really irritating to me too. But at the same time, I'm like, it's 2020, meaning the score is tied. Nobody's truly been affected. It should have went to overtime. But that one play, and it was by the player, I, I can't blame the officials on that one. No, I'm with you. The the Joseph Osai unnecessary roughness play, that's going to get called every time. You cannot do that. He knows it, which is why we saw the reaction from him after the game and continuing into the locker room. And my heart, heart broke for him because he knew it's, it's a bang-bang play. He's chasing him. The game is on the line. And... You know, the great ones know to have composure in that moment, but some we're humans. There's going to be error in our lives, and you're going to mess up. And he knew instantly what a mess up that was. And I felt so badly for him in that moment, knowing that that play contributed to them losing the game. But the redo on downs, Jamie, was <laughs> so frustrating to me. And as a, a a girl born and bred from St. Louis, I already have some negative biases towards the NFL. No. Yes, they're there. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. And to watch that go down, I'm sitting there watching the game going, they want the Chiefs to win this game. It, it just reinvigorated my the NFL is a cartel and it is fixed and they're going to do whatever they want to get the best ratings PTSD that I have deeply ingrained inside of me. And I thought for some reason they want Kansas City to win this game and they're going to fix it because I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's Ms. M- Michelle Smallman. She's joining us here today in the fast lane. It's 2.12 right now in the afternoon. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. We're going to get into all of this football stuff throughout the entire show today because there's so much more to break down. We want to talk about Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, their performances, Joe Burrow's performance, the lack of performance from Joe Burrow's offensive line. But next, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Blues, and I'm anxious to hear Michelle's take on whether or not she likes Jordan Bennington's well, we'll call it passion in Saturday's game. That's coming up next here on the Fast Lane. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Check the puck comes in, and then O'Connor. Bennington's going to go after O'Connor, and then Torrejenko goes after O'Connor. McDermott's going to come in, and a Blues goaltender is right in the middle of it. Coming up is Georgiev to the red line, and that's Jordan Bennington right now at his best. When O'Connor took an extra slash at the glove, Bennington just led his team into the battle. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers joined by our good friend, Michelle Smallman. Michelle, things aren't looking great for the Blues right now. It's been five losses in a row, and then you have a situation on Saturday where they get down by three goals, again, to the Colorado Avalanche, which sounds like a bit of a broken record, but they've given up a ton of goals in the first period uh, recently as a team. But most of all, what I wanted to talk about here is Jordan Bennington. So the misconception from a lot of people here in St. Louis, and I'm sure you're, you're still dialed in, to our fan base because you love the Blues, is a lot of people like to point the finger at Jordan mm-hmm. Bennington, that he hasn't had a great season, that he's to blame for some of the struggles. 
I'm sorry. I have been pushing back all year long on this. Without Jordan Bennington, I feel like this team, there's at least five or six games the Blues don't win because he's made some timely saves. And is he an all-star goaltender this year? Well, no. The numbers, the numbers nerds will look me in the face and go, well, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> they just don't lie. Look at Jamie. He's terrible. Okay. No, he's not. If you watch the game and you're a true hockey fan and you're watching Jordan Bennington play, uh, it has not been a Picasso all year. That's fine. I'm willing to concede that. But I'm looking at it going, what other goalie right now would even give you the goaltending that he's been able to provide at times? So, your first of all, you know, Michelle, we haven't talked about this in a while, you and I. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Jordan Bennington so far this season with the Blues? I know as a fan, when you're frustrated with the team as a whole, it's easier to process what's happening with the team if you can funnel your frustrations and pinpoint it to one player or one person. And, Jamie, I've still been watching every Blues game up here in New York, and I don't think Jordan Bennington is the problem at all. I... I think the numbers are going to be inflated if you are Jordan Bennington when you're under siege all the time. He's He has been put in some pretty tough positions by the defense this year, and I think that he has handled it the best way that he can. He hasn't been as great as he's been in years past, but the team hasn't been great in front of him the way that they have in years past. And Jordan Bennington is always the guy that's going to, oscillate between being very stoic do i look nervous and then providing that fire we see him go from one end of the pendulum to the other and i think that fans can't have it both ways you can't love that fire from him when the team is good and you're going on to win a stanley cup and and say he's the reason that the team has a spark and i'm gonna love number 50 for the passion that he infuses into this team and then turn on him when he tries to do it when the team isn't playing so well and they're on the precipice of dipping below 500 and they come out lifeless and he's trying to, to do something to energize this team. You can't have it both ways. And this is who Jordan Bennington is. I couldn't agree more, honestly. And you know what? You're 100% right is that we all loved that that guy, that edgy goalie that were like, I don't know, goalies are wacky and that's why we have <laughs> Jordan Bennington and he's our guy. We can't love that guy in the good times. And then the exact same individual not like him or his antics or his behavior during the bad times. Now, I will say this. There was a time this season where I thought it was just too often. Mm-hmm. It had become too too many times in such a short span of time to where, you know, Craig Bruby said it, even Jordan Bennington said, you know, I need to focus on just stopping the puck and being a goalie. And he's gone a long time. So, like, if this was one of our children, Michelle, we'd like to treat our athletes like, oh, they're our kids. We want to sure. be, you know, take care yeah. of our kids. Right. We love them. If this was one of our children, we'd say, Jordan, you did really good. I'm so proud of you. You went for a long time without an outburst. <laughs> I understand you're upset, okay? But you can't hit your friends when you get mad. You have to just keep that up together and try to stay positive. I think that would be, it sounds about what I would tell my my youngest daughter or my young boys. And he had an outburst. It is what it is. It's been really frustrating for this team. And so Jordan Bennington uh, was asked post-game on, you know, what his thoughts were regarding the scrum and why he decided to join in at that point. So here's what the man himself had to say about that. I just felt like, there, you know, the game uh, could have used some energy. And, um, you know, I just try to do everything I can to, to win. You know, it's it's tough. Uh, it's been a tough stretch. And, um just trying to find a way, like we said uh, over and over again. And positive is, uh, you know, we had a good, 
last uh, 25, 30 minutes, I would say. And, you know, we really, we had, uh, we had character, we played hard and, you know, we were playing together and backing each other up. So that's, uh, that's positive and hopefully we can um, bring that moving forward. Michelle, you know what bothers me the most about that quote? Tell me. It's the fact that he felt like he had to jump up and provide the energy and the pushback. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what gets me the most. It, it, never in my playing career did I ever want my goalie to have to be the guy to go out and physically try to jumpstart the team. If you want to make a great save, like I play with some great goalies, Dominic Hashik, Cujo, Grant Fuhr, those guys would motivate with their play. A huge glove save or a split pad save, and I'm like, okay, all right, our goalie's in there for us. Never did I ever want or expect my goalie to physically get involved in an altercation to get our team going. So this falls back on the players for me, is if Jordan Binnington is feeling like he needs to add some energy or assert himself into the game this way, I mean, the players have to look in the mirror at some point and go, man, what are we doing wrong? We love sports, Jamie, because you're right. We do treat athletes like they're our children or a member of our family. I always say we love the Cardinals so much. They, they're like a family member. They have a seat at the dinner table. That's the way that we care about the Cardinals and the Blues here in St. Louis. And a lot of people look at what Jordan Bennington did over the weekend and the things that he's done in the past, and they'll label it as hijinks or antics. I look at it as investment. He is as invested in this team as I am watching it, and I want that out of my players. Do I expect the goalie to be the one that that's in, that's as invested as I am? No, he shouldn't be the one that has to go out there and do that. But if he's looking around and he's watching a team that heading into that game is on the precipice of dropping below 500, um, is having conversations swirling all around it about their captain and their best players potentially getting traded, about a rebuild maybe happening, and then they come out in that game and they look lifeless and as if things aren't going to turn around anytime soon. I like that he took the reins in some way and said, what can I do to get things going? I wish it wasn't him that had to do it. And I do think that if I'm in that dressing room, that's a conversation that needs to be had. Why is the goalie the one that feels the need to try and be a spark plug for us when we come out this way? And it it did work. They did go out and play better after that incident. But I love that he felt that he could do something about it or at least wanted to attempt to do something about the current situation. The Air Comfort Service text line is always available for our listeners. That number, it's a new one, so it's 314-399-9646. Feel free to drop in at any point, or you can use the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN mobile app. If you have any thoughts about Jordan Bennington and his antics or even the St. Louis Blues right now, we want to hear your voice here on the mic drop for the ESPN app. The one I wanted to touch on before we go to break, Michelle, I want to get your feelings on this because I, I think we might disagree with the texture. From the 618, let Jamie know, I'm the one reading it, so thank you, (laughs) the defense has no confidence in their goalie. Like a goal scorer starts gripping the stick tightly to score, same for the defense. They feel like they have to play a perfect game, otherwise it's in their net. He needs to stop his antics and stop the puck. Michelle, I'm going to attack this from the standpoint of, well, I've been a defenseman in the NHL, and uh, I know what it feels like to have a goaltender behind me that I'm either confident in or not confident in. This has nothing to do with that. The defense's lack of play right now and their inability to defend or to play to the best of their ability has nothing to do with Jordan Binding. Quite honestly, if I'm a Blues defenseman right now, I'm tapping him on the pads more often than not going, thank you for saving my bacon on that one there. And I'm probably trying to block more shots and do more more things within the game because 
I know that our play hasn't been good enough. So if anything else, I think that I would be more worried about myself. I, I, I absolutely don't feel like this defensive core is lacking confidence in Jordan Bennington, but I don't know how you feel about it. I I agree with you 100%. I think it's completely the other way around. I totally di- disagree with the texter. I think that Jordan Bennington has not been the problem. And I I think that most people would look at this Blues team and zero in on the defense as one of the main issues that the team has had all season. And whether or not the numbers for Jordan Bennington this season have been what we expected them to be, this is still a guy that put a team on his back and won a cup for you. This is still a guy before he got injured last year had absolutely lit himself on fire and was blazing through the playoffs. I don't think the defensemen on this team have forgotten who Jordan Bennington is. I don't think that they <laughs> distrust him so much based on what we've seen this season that they would uh, that their play would reflect that in any way. I couldn't agree more. We've got Greg Wyshynski, who will be joining us at 3 o'clock, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Jordan Bennington at that point as well. We've got What's Trending coming up next. Michelle Smallman's along for the ride all day here with me, Jamie Rivers. BT will be joining us at about 4.45 today. But What's Trending next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back to 101 ESPN. It's the Fast Lane. We have Jamie Rivers, Michelle Smallman. I'm Andrew Marsh, and it's time for What's Trending. Guys, Brett Hall's father, Bobby Hall, has passed away today at the age of 84. Yeah, so the uh, the original Golden Jet himself, uh, man, this guy revolutionized the game of hockey. When Stan Makita and Bobby Hull stumbled upon how to curve a hockey stick and use it to their advantage, you know, Bobby Hull uh, started ripping slap shots from all over the place and scoring. He was strong too. It's fast. I had the opportunity to meet at, to meet Bobby Hull several times and become friends with him. Um, having played with Brett uh, here in St. Louis and then as well with the Red Wings, spent a lot of time with with Bobby Hall. And uh, it, it was always a very um, interesting experience. Bobby had quite the personality on him, uh, but uh, nonetheless, a, a great guy uh, to be around. And, uh, you know, Michelle just it was kind of weird seeing such a legend like that. Like it was a lot for me as a 19 year old kid yeah. to kind of take in Brett Hall and Brendan Shanahan and all these awesome players and Wayne Gretzky at the time. And then you got Bobby Hall, another legend that you're kind of you know meeting. And I was very awestruck at that moment, but you know, uh, certainly he was one of those guys that, that revolutionized the game. And we obviously know so much about Bobby, not his accomplishments on his own, but because of the things that he and Brett both accomplished. They're the only father and son to each win the Hart Trophy, and they're the only father and son named among the 100 greatest NFL or NHL players that happened back in 2017. And you think about Brett Hall and the standard that his father set, and it's really hard to enter the league and try to match what your dad's done and to see him be able to, to not only do that but become – one of the greatest players of all time in his own right is really special as well. You know what's crazy about it is, you know, Bobby Hall and Brett Hall, like you said, the two guys to win the Hart Trophy and to score as many goals as they did. They're both, everybody looks at him and goes, ah, father and son, son's a chip off the old block, just <laughs> like that. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Bobby Hall 
well, not that Brett wasn't a great skater, he was, but Bobby Hall is well known for his powerful skating. He was built like a you know what. Like yeah. Bobby Hall had muscles, and Brett, well, he didn't and doesn't. And Bobby Hall would bulldog <laughs> his way through, and he used to beat guys up and like totally different player than Brett, except they had one unique talent in common, and that's putting the puck into the back of the net. So it's fun to see a father son you know, duo like this do so well, but they weren't identical. They were so different in so many ways. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Jamie, but you obviously spent time with him and you said he had such a personality. Do you have any stories about Bobby Hall that you could share? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Or that are safe for radio? Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of them aren't um, because, you know, Bobby Hall wasn't afraid to indulge, that's for sure. But one that was funny and also probably a little bit embarrassing for Brett, but this just goes to show you some of the old school mentality in, in some of these these old hockey players or just the, that generation entirely is Brett and I used to, instead of pregame meal, like pasta and chicken and all that stuff, we started going and doing like pregame brunch. We change it up a little bit. So in Detroit, we go to pregame skate. After that, we go to this like, diner, this Greek diner, which was awesome. And we'd get like pancakes and eggs and you know, whatever. We just, it was, it was different. We'd still get the same carb load that we needed but just in a different way because we were sick of just eating pasta and chicken all yeah. the time. So this one day we swing by Brett's house and we grab Bobby. Bobby wants to come to pregame brunch with us. Well, we get into the, the diner and there, the busboy has the little gray bucket. You know, you put the dishes and the food and whatnot. Well, Bobby sees a piece of toast sitting in there. He grabs the piece of toast and starts to eat it. From and the dishes bucket? From the from the busboy's bucket. Oh, no. And Bobby. I'm like looking and, and Holly's like, he always does that. I'm like, well, <laughs> what do you, he gives, and then Bobby chimes in and he had the real raspy voice. He's like, when I was growing up, you didn't throw away food. You made sure everybody else could have a piece. So this is just, I'm hungry. These people didn't want to eat it. I'll eat it. And he proceeded to do that. And then well, a couple of minutes later, the people next to us were, or finished eating. They had not given their dishes to the busboy yet. And he was like, are you going to eat that? They're like, uh, no. He's like, do you mind? They're like, no, go ahead, sir. And I'm sitting there laughing because I'm with Brett Hull, who's one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And I'm with Bobby Hull. And Bobby's enjoying food from other people, which he didn't have to do. So I found that to be quite amusing. I love that story for so many reasons. I love that he's so true to himself, regardless of the stature that he possesses in the NHL world. I also would have loved to be there had the people realized, oh, that's Bobby Hall who's asking to eat my the scraps off my plate here at a diner. Oh, yeah. And it was because they recognized <laughs> Brett, but a lot of people didn't obviously know it was Bobby. And so it was all this like sick, twisted little game. And I'm just sitting there as like the actual nobody at the table, just enjoying the view. That is incredible. Great story. I love that, Jamie. Guys, all the time we get texts saying, why won't you talk about Mizzou basketball? Why won't you mention Mizzou basketball? Marshy, why don't we talk about Mizzou basketball? I think we should, Jamie, because they upset number 12 Iowa State at home, 78 to 61. So a big win for the Tigers this weekend. Yeah, Mizzou's having quite the season here. I can't believe the bounce back that that program has had in such a quick way, Michelle. I mean, you change the coach, you change the culture, and the result is followed. Dennis Gates has done a remarkable job with this Missouri team. They beat my Illini team, a top 25 Illini team yeah, at the bragging rights that. game. Yeah, I'm no, sorry I'm about it, too. Trust me, I'm sorry about it, too. <laughs> but I think that they are putting together 
quite the resume to be a tournament team, and I would love to see them get there. And it has been such a turnaround for this program. When I think about the bragging rights game a year ago and how Illinois absolutely stomped this Missouri team to where they are right now, Dennis Gates deserves all the credit in the world for for the team that he has assembled. So they have to be a tournament team now, right? Like, there's, I don't think you can deny this team at this point, can you? No, I'd put them in. Yeah, and then I'm also excited too, like... Dennis Gates has done this in in his first two years of coaching, which means he's got he's had a carryover from the previous regime. I know mm-hmm. there's a transfer portal, but he still is left with a lot of guys from the previous coach. And a lot of times, these college head coaches, whether it's football or basketball, you know, they're given that four year, five year grace period because yeah. it's now officially their recruiting year that they've started with. He's done all this job that he's doing right now with yes, the transfer portal but also some carryover from the uh, the previous coach. I think it's been awesome. And think about how difficult that is, too, to take a program that's in a really tough spot and try to build it up all while recruiting kids from the transfer portal and then finding a way to make it cohesive at the same time. It's a very tough job. And to your point, a lot of people need far greater of a runway to get it done than he has. Guys, uh, former Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett was arrested on public intoxication charge in Dallas uh, uh, yesterday morning. Uh, Apparently, according to the Dallas Police Department, they got a a call about a man who was banging on doors late at night. Oh, boy. So, actually, it wasn't late at night. It was more around 6.10, but people are still sleeping, you know. 6.10 a.m.? 6.10 a.m. Oh, okay. So, But uh, Stetson Bennett. He's going to be uh, in the NFL, obviously. Uh, maybe not. So I got a story for you, okay? <laughs> we're going di- to settle take in here. <laughs> behind the curtain a little bit here. When I played in Switzerland, um, there was a four, it was a four-story apartment building. And three first floors were the Canadian players that were imported in, and they put us in this place. The top floor, nobody really knew who lived there. It was somebody from Switzerland and, and whatnot, and... Well, we went out and had some beverages one night, mm-hmm. um, and that carried over to the wee hours of the morning. And I remember uh, coming back in from wherever we were at and walking up the stairs. And I was on the third floor, but I walked to the fourth floor um, in my um, hazy memory. And I started to try and enter the apartment that was on the top floor. And uh, I was rattling the keys around and trying to get the door open. And all of a sudden, the door kind of opens because I'm, like, banging at the door. I'm like, Why, how come I can't get into my own dang apartment? And uh, I, op- I go to push the door open, and it's somebody else. It's a stranger, someone I've never <laughs> seen. Their eyes were the size of, like, uh, like softballs because they're like, who is this <laughs> drunken man who's forcing his way into our apartment? And so I kind of panicked at that. At first, I got angry because I'm like, why are you in my apartment? <laughs> and then you got I, accusatory towards that. Oh, yeah. I was like, get, get the hell out of my house. And then I looked around and there's none of the belongings were mine. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm in the wrong apartment. So then I panicked because somehow I didn't have shoes on. Um, and I grabbed shoes, but they weren't my shoes. They were the residents' shoes that was living there because everybody leaves their shoes outside. In oh. the, and so I ran outside in the wrong shoes, and uh, yeah, the police came. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Yeah, they thought it was kind of funny though. They uh, once we put all the pieces together, they thought it was kind of funny, and of course I apologized to the residents on the fourth floor and uh, returned the shoes and uh, 
just hoped that they wouldn't be too mad at me, and they weren't. Well, that's nice that they were accepting of of your late night hello or early morning hello, we can say. Um, so no citation or anything from the cops. They were cool about it. Yeah, they figured out. Well, the, the landlord lived right next door, and he came over and explained, you know, that all the hockey guys lived in there. And <laughs> it's a very small community in Bellinzona, Switzerland, and everybody had a little bit of a giggle after. So it well, was fun. I'm glad that they were in good spirits about it. Um, you know, when I hear the Stetson Bennett story, Jamie and, and Marsh, two things come to mind here. Number one, it sounds like he was being inclusive. You know, he's having a good time. He's just knocking on doors. He wants everybody to come party with him, right? He's just inviting everybody. He was waking them up for uh, for the football games. That's right. Early pregame. He's just trying to say what's up to everybody. Uh, That's the first thing that comes to mind. Number two is if you're going to get that intoxicated and make any sort of a public disturbance an hour away from TCU after the beatdown that you put on them in the national championship game, you're likely going to run into to some TCU fans and maybe some of them are in law enforcement and I don't think that they're going to be as kind-hearted and accepting of the antics the way that Jamie your Swiss police were (laughs) I think that they might want to make a little bit more of an example out of Stetson Bennett after what he did to TCU yeah I don't doubt it at all well that's what's trending here in the fast lane we get back here. We're going to talk about the Eagles and the Chiefs. We're going to dive into Championship Sunday just a little bit more here right after the break on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think sometimes when you get to this part in the season where things kind of get tight, you know, you, you, you want to make the big plays. You want to make the big plays, but, you know, a lot of this, all of this comes down to the details, the attention to details, um, the football IQ and the fundamentals to do the right things, whether you want to keep the clock running or not, or try, hey, you know, get the ball snapped quickly, or knowing situational awareness, third and short, uh, fourth and one, or whatever it is. So I know there are a couple of things that I, I probably like to have back on that end, but there are a lot of things that we also did well and executed at a high level. That was Jalen Hurts yesterday on doing the little things that it takes to win. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers will be your driver here for the next little while alongside Michelle Smallman, who's riding shotgun today. Michelle, I got a question for you here. Okay. The Eagles winning yesterday. Was it more about what the Eagles did right or the absolute ish show that was the 49ers and their injuries yesterday? That's the question of the game for me, Jamie, because last night after the games were over and I was doing my prep for the show, I like to write out some some topic questions that I had. And one of the questions that I posed to myself when I was prepping was, what did I learn about the Eagles yesterday? And I don't really know if I learned anything about the Eagles yesterday. I think out of the four teams remaining top to bottom, the Eagles are the most complete team. And they certainly showed that yesterday. But they were also playing a San Francisco team that had no quarterback. When your fourth string quarterback, Josh Johnson, is entering the game, you 
I don't want to say you have no chance because there were points in the game where San Francisco certainly fought back in a manner in which I didn't think that they could. Christian McCaffrey stepped up in a big way. But your chances against a team like the Eagles are greatly limited when you don't have a strong quarterback situation. So even though the Eagles looked great yesterday, and I don't want to take away anything from them, their competition wasn't at full strength. So I don't really know how much I even learned about them. So this has been my issue all season long with the Eagles is what are they going to look like when there's a serious opponent or adversity that presents itself in front of them? And look, there's no taking away the great regular season that they had. They did. But this postseason, I don't know what I'm looking at. Because yesterday, the Eagles go on to win 31-7, and it, as they were the better team. Clearly, mm-hmm. it's fine. That Yes, I agree. But were they the better team if the 49ers didn't have the injuries? I would fight back and say, no, I think the 49ers were the more complete team. And not only did the 49ers lose Trey Lance early in the season, um, I think the change was coming anyways. I don't think they were really thrilled with Trey Lance. I think that Jimmy G was going to find his way under center. It just so happened to be a bit sooner due to injury. Mm -hmm. Then Jimmy G takes over, and they're off and running. This is just like old times. We got just like getting back together with your old girlfriend or your old boyfriend, just like where we wanted it to be, except then Jimmy G (laughs) gets hurt again. And then you're you're on to Brock Purdy at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, we'll give the ball to Brock Purdy, and hopefully he just doesn't lose games for us. And Kyle Shanahan's offense could support a player like Brock Purdy who – is not a bad player. He's just not a flashy, proven player. And what he did was exactly what he was supposed to do, not lose football games. And he managed to uh, improve during this stretch. But I found in the last game, before yesterday's game, Kyle Shanahan kind of took the ball out of his hands a little more. It wasn't as free, you know, free and open where he was passing the ball downfield as much. They certainly were working the running game a lot more. But then yesterday, Brock Purdy gets hurt. What, the second set of downs? And, and now you're on to what, with Johnson, who's your fourth-string quarterback, who's played on 12 other teams in the NFL, which no disrespect to him, he's in the NFL. That's great. I'm happy that he got his opportunity. But then he gets hurt. And now you got to go back to Brock Purdy with a bad elbow, who can throw maybe four yards down the field. I think Brock Purdy, well, one thing's positive, Brock Purdy had a perfect game. I think he was four for four or five for five on the day. But, like, to to kind of bring it back to the beginning of it, what did we really see from the Eagles? When on the broadcast they're talking about Christian McCaffrey potentially being the next man up at quarterback, <laughs> you're I may in have a bad given him spot. the ball instead of Brock Purdy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> at least he could throw the ball. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, are we going to really see Christian McCaffrey under center here? Is this how bad it is? I, if you thought the Josh Johnson situation was bad, this could really be derailed quickly. But the Eagles, they handled their business. They they did what they needed to do, and. Gosh, the 49ers, though, have so many questions now heading into this offseason, Jamie. I I know we're going to probably dive deeper into this later in the show, but with Brock Purdy getting injured but putting together the string of games that he did leading into the NFC Championship game, do you go with him if you were San Francisco? Are you sold on him heading into next season? Do you go back to Trey Lance? Do you try to flip Trey Lance to another team? What do you do? I think you're in a really tough spot if you are the 49ers because you have to make a decision about your quarterback, and you don't really have – you like what you saw out of Brock Purdy. I thought heading into that game – 
Brock Purdy had shown a lot of composure. He, he had shown a lot of grit. He'd shown that he was fully capable of handling the task that was given to him. And Kyle Shanahan kept saying, this this team is not going to be defined by our quarterback. Whoever gets the ball is more than capable of getting the job done. And Brock Purdy, he did his job. He really did. But still heading into the NFC Championship game, I thought the quarterback position was going to be the ultimate X factor. My trust in Jalen Hurts is far greater than what I've, I've seen out of Brock Purdy. And for all of that rhetoric that Kyle Shanahan had been saying about the quarterback is not going to define this team, the quarterback is not going to define this team, what defined the 49ers yesterday? The quarterback position. That is what ultimately was their undoing yeah but he wasn't completely wrong because even at one point yesterday and i don't know if you feel this way but even with johnson under center i felt like they still have a chance it was seven seven at that point i'm like this team still has a chance and so i guess the biggest question i have regarding the 49ers franchise right now is do they finally put a real quarterback under center for kyle shanahan And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Jimmy Garoppolo and to Trey Lance and to Brock Purdy, but Jimmy Garoppolo has always been like, well, he'll manage the game probably, and hopefully he doesn't lose the game for you. He might have the bad play, uh, that one big bad play in in a big game, and uh, you know, but he'll manage the game okay. At what point does Kyle Shanahan get an actual difference maker? And will the 49ers go and do that this offseason? I think it's certainly high on the priority list. It's the number one decision that they have to make. But but quickly, Jimmy, did it tell you anything about the Eagles that they didn't bust that game open more? Or does it say more about the 49ers defense? Because you're right. It was 7-7, and I thought, how are the Eagles not busting this game wide open? I expected it at that point to, to be, you know, what the final score was, 31-7. to And they, they just couldn't get it done. So did that tell you anything about the Eagles? Or was it more a credit to the 49ers defense? Yeah, I'm going to go with a little bit of both on that. I think the 49ers defense is so strong strong that early in the game specifically the Eagles were having trouble identifying some of the coverages and things like that and picking up some of the blitzes but I think as the game went on certainly you know there were some injuries involved on the defensive side too for the 49ers but I felt like Jalen Hurts did get a little bit more confidence they did figure some things out so I I think I think both things can be true Mm -hmm. in that circumstance that we did learn from the 49ers on the defensive side and the Eagles on the offensive side. All right, we got to get over to talk to Greg Wyshynski here in a couple of minutes. He'll be joining us here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN 301. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, official provider of Rolex jewelry. Jamie Rivers here alongside Michelle Smallman for the rest of the show. And we're going to head out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, joined by our good friend Greg Wyshynski. Greg, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. Can't complain. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a weird week because it's the bye week for a lot of teams and then also an extraordinarily busy week for a lot of us <laughs> with the all-star game happening this week. Yeah. So the bye week what, how do you feel about some of these bye weeks for the teams? I, I just overall, I remember, you know, as a player, I don't know if I would have liked this or, or, or hated it at this point of the season. <laughs> I guess it all depends on how it's going. I think the Bruins would take a bye week at this point with the way things are going, uh, which is kind of surprising uh, considering the role they've been on. But um, no, you know, it, it's funny. I, the only comparison I could make is uh, the Olympic break 
um, that, you know, used to happen with, you know, every four years before we stopped going. And I remember talking to a lot of players about the Olympics and the ones that, that didn't go to represent their countries. I was always curious whether or not they enjoyed having this gigantic break in the middle of the season. And, and some of them really enjoyed it and saw it as a time to, you know, recharge for a playoff race, maybe spend some time with the family. And others, I remember, didn't really like it because it kind of broke up the routine. And as you know, uh, NHL players are creatures of habit, creatures of routine. And, and this is even an all-star break, a break by week kind of interrupts with that routine. Yeah, I agree. I'm, you know, being a guy that wasn't ever asked to play for my country, which I felt they made a big mistake about that one, Greg. But either way, um, I remember going through that break. But at the same time, you know, everybody had that time off, you know, with the staggered bye weeks that happen throughout the NHL. I just wonder sometimes if it helps a certain team and sometimes hurts a certain team. And you talked about the Bruins, like they welcome the bye week. Well, if we bring that back to our St. Louis Blues right now, who are in the midst of a really bad losing streak. They're five in a row right now. They play Winnipeg Jets tonight. What do you think the Blues need to look to try and accomplish during this, you know, this all-star break slash bye week? Well, a lot of the teams in the last month have all had their organizational meetings. Uh, scouts come in, the GMs and the hockey operations staff all sit down, and they get a real sense of different scenarios. What happens if we fall out of the playoff race? What happens if we're in the playoff race? What happens vis-a-vis the draft? Who should we start targeting? Who should we get a second look at? Are there picks that we don't have that we should acquire to maybe go after the players that we like? And these are very important conversations now for the St. Louis Blues. (laughs) Because as of right now, the St. Louis Blues have a, a lower chance of making the playoffs than the Philadelphia Flyers, which is not something that I think a lot of us thought. Uh, only slightly better than teams like Detroit, Vancouver, and San Jose. So at this point, you have to say that the dream of, of, a, of a, you know, a gigantic second-half rally from this team, which, you know, as we all know, we've seen before, that the chances of that happening are very slim, and the idea now has to be what do they have to accomplish in order to, A, reshape this roster a little bit for next season, and, B, maybe uh, pick up some of that valuable draft capital to, you know, replenish the system in what is expected to be a very deep and robust draft this summer. Well, Greg, if the Blues were going to reshape the roster, they would have to part with some players. And there's been some names thrown out there, namely Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. When you look at this Blues roster, which piece do you think might be the most valuable for them if they were going to go out and sell? Well, if he's healthy, O'Reilly. Um, and, and again, I, I did see some, I think it was from Jeremy Rutherford that said O'Reilly was still open-minded towards resigning with the Blues and staying there for a bit longer. And, of course, that all comes down to, you know, whether or not that's where the Blues want to be insofar as their next steps uh, and the future of this roster. But, you know, as far as value goes, like Tarasenko is, is, is a very good offensive winger. Ryan O'Reilly is, A, a center, and B, a center that has a Tom Smythe to his credit. You usually have a lot of those that come available around the trade deadline. And, and his speciality, of course, is, is defense. And, and that also really makes him, I think, attractive at the deadline in the sense that you have teams that are, A, looking to bolster their center's position, and, and B, probably looking for that last piece of a puzzle guy. And oftentimes it's going to be your veteran defensive center that can win big face-offs, that can play a shutdown role. It's what teams crave and what they covet. And obviously those have been Ryan O'Reilly's calling cards forever. Another name I'd want to throw out there, though, and it's a name I think is, that's gained a little bit of steam uh, from, from people observing, is, is Ivan Barbashev. I mean, he's a, 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 multi, a, a versatile forward. 
uh, a valuable bottom six guy, doesn't make a lot of money against the cap, pending UFA. I'm telling you, you know, if you're a contender and you're looking for someone to bolster your depth, having a guy like that with the playoff experience that he has, um, I think could go a long way towards, towards making your team successful. And I think he's going to be a real valuable commodity at the deadline. So, Greg, if we, if we just dive right back into that, Ivan Barbashev, for a second, because I think we all know, you know, relatively speaking, what the going rate is going to be for an O'Reilly or a Tarasenko. They're both in the top 10 as far as on people's lists to be traded for or being traded, period, at the deadline. But Ivan Barbashev, you know, what does the market value him at? Like, what would be the uh, what would be a fair return so that the Blues look at it and go, you know what, in a good draft like we're having here, that makes sense. Otherwise, do the Blues maybe try to ride it out and re-sign him because of the value that he brings? Well, I mean, re-signing is never a bad idea, right? I think having him on, on that roster is, is ultimately beneficial. I mean, he's a real good player. I've always liked him a lot. Um, I think he brings a lot to a to a team that's you know pushing towards a playoffs position. It's just a matter of where the Blues see themselves that this is an anomaly, part of a more systemic problem, or 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 what have you. As far as what he could bring back, it's a great question, and I think part of the answer is we're not exactly sure what the trade market's going to look like. I, I do think the winds are blowing a lot harder now than they were two weeks ago when I wrote a story about how the GMs are approaching the trade deadline, and a lot of them said, "Look, it's it's super quiet." One of the GMs told me there's a muddy middle in the standings right now, teams that don't know if they're in it or if they're out of it. And once they have a better sense of where they are, then you're going to start to see the trade market open up because a lot of those players they might have been holding on to in the hopes they could finish in a wild card spot are all of a sudden going to become available. And, and I think the Blues are probably one of those teams. As far as return goes, it's all going to be dependent on what the market is, what the competition is, how many teams are in on a player like Barbashev. It wouldn't shock me to see a second rounder and a, a you know mid prospect for a guy that could be a real a, you know is an NHL player who could be an influence in somebody's bottom six, but again the, the market's going to tell us what his value is overall. Well, Greg, as you can imagine, in addition to the trade deadline and what the Blues need to do, Jordan Bennington has been quite the topic of conversation in St. Louis Sports Talk Radio this morning. And we saw him uh, again have a, a, a little bit of an antic, antics moment over the weekend versus Colorado, this time with Logan O'Connor. And I would just get, love to get your opinion of Jordan Bennington. When you see him getting into those situations, do you look at it as unnecessary antics or do you look at it as Jordan Bennington trying to spark his team? Well, when I saw the antics in the recent game, I looked at the scoreboard and I knew why they were happening. <laughs> you know, I, 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 they were happening one because he's frustrated, but two probably because he's trying to get a rise out of his team. I mean, it's like what we used to expect out of enforcers and guys that used to drop the gloves on the fourth line, but those guys don't exist anymore. I guess the responsibility falls on the goalie <laughs> to, to get the team going with some physicality, which is kind of nuts. Um, I think there are times when when his his as you said antics. Um, are a, a little bit not in sync with what the team needs, maybe a little bit selfish. And then there are times when the fiery personality, I think, could be beneficial. And, and as much as I'm sometimes critical of Bennington, I, I, I have had fought many an analytics versus eye test battle with Blues fans and Blues media this year regarding his performance. I do think that what he did in that game was ultimately what the team needed, and they responded. I mean, they rallied in the game, ultimately didn't lose, but they did rally in the game after that point. So, I, I, listen, he's a fiery guy. He's always been a fiery guy. Sometimes that uh, is to his detriment, and sometimes I think it's just 
what the Blues knew that they were doing when they went long-term with this guy. It's, it's the kind of goalie that he is, and, and you take the good and you take the bad of it. Talking with Greg Wyshynski here on the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Greg, I want to circle right back to Jordan Bennington here. And you know what? We all agree, okay, it's what the team needed. And, and I, I trust me, I'm totally in that camp that they needed something at that point. But we had audio earlier from Jordan Bennington postgame where he says, I feel like the team needed some kind of a response. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. But what does that tell you about this Blues team where they're maybe relying on their goalie to provide that spark? <laughs> right, exactly. That's the weird part about it, right? I mean, if you if you, uh, you know, travel back in time even 10 years and said a Blues team had to depend on its goalie to start roughing up somebody to get a rise out of everybody, you've been like, what? But, um, but no, that's, it's a good point, and, and I think maybe speaks to, um, you know, who knows? Maybe part of the problem is is a lack of the kind of competitive fire players that this team needs to really, like, get a spark in a game like that. It shouldn't necessarily fall on your goalie. I mean, as, as much as I think Jordan relishes the role. Um, but, again, like, like we were just saying, I mean, it's a different league. I mean, the, the kinds of players that would do something like that are few and far between. Um, it, it's it's kind of just part of where we are in 2023 with the NHL. It's just it's just a different league than what it used to be. Um, I want to get your diagnosis, Greg. Of of obviously Jordan Bennington's frustrated. A lot of it has to do with the play in front of him. So I want to get your diagnosis of what you've seen out of the Blues' defense so far this season. It's been bad. <laughs> it's been real bad. I mean, they're. As much as I think Bennington uh, gets maybe more credit than he deserves from people who generally like him, I mean, the, the analytics tell you that he's, I think, at last check, uh, minus 10 goals saved above replacement right now, which is not a very good figure at all. Um, it's no question that if you look at the, the things like the heat maps from St. Louis Blues games, as far as where shots are originating from, the kinds of chances teams are getting, um, it, it has been porous and and wait, it's like you know there are nights when the when the Blues defense looks like they're laying down a red carpet in front of Bennington, right? And and that's just not how it should be and not how it used to be with the Blues. So, you know, I've I've talked to some people about the defense. Obviously, from a team defense standpoint, there's been a bit of slippage overall from particularly the blue line. I mean, I, obviously the, the Colton Pareko stuff has been well chronicled. Um, you know, either because he's diminished through injury or, or whatever factor he's just not the player that he was or, or not the player that they hoped that he would still mature into. Um, and then, you know, the blue line overall, I, I don't think has enough stout defensive defensemen necessarily to, to, you know, help out Biddington and, and the blues goaltending in particular. So it's, it's been a rough defensive year. And again, it's been so uncharacteristic because that had been the calling card for these Craig Berube teams for the last couple of years. Last one I got for you here, Greg, before you let you go. Uh, you just mentioned, you know, Craig Berube and Craig Berube-type teams that he's coached in, in past years. Um, I, I am not at all of the camp of, you know, moving on from Craig Berube because I, I feel like he kind of embodies what the culture needs to be here in St. Louis. He's he's tough. He's fair. Um, you know, he's kind of the, the face of the franchise. But there are voices out there that are saying, you know, maybe a change of coaches is, is something that the Blues require moving forward. The big break coming up, they got their last game before the big break against the Winnipeg Jets. In your opinion, do you see the Blues going down that path of maybe looking for a different head coach, or do you think Craig Berube is the guy? 
I don't. Um, I don't because I think that they've been pretty adamant about giving him votes of confidence and, and saying that what's happening this season isn't necessarily on him. Um, and I, the more you look at this situation, the more it looks like that, you know, Doug Armstrong is going to take a real scalpel to this roster, change this team around, bring back a, a different looking group uh, next season, and then, you know, see if, if Craig is the right fit for that, that new mix. And I think that's probably the, way, right, the right way to approach it. Um, there's big decisions that have to be made in this offseason. And the good news for the Blues and their fans is that uh, they have a general manager that has been nothing but bold in, in making tough decisions and in making big trades and, in, you know, severing ties with captains and things like that. I mean, uh, there's clearly some work to be done, and I'm confident that Doug Armstrong is going to do a lot of it. And it's just a matter of whether or not uh, Craig Ruby is the right guy for that new group. He's Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer at ESPN. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Wyshynski. Greg, we thank you so much for your time today. Look forward to chatting again sometime soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot. Again, that was Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer at ESPN. We're going to digest some of the stuff that Greg just talked to us about. We'll dive into that oh, maybe in 15 minutes or so. But next, here on the Fast Lane, it's the Sports Six Pack on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers here and Michelle Smallman. That's right. She's back in the house. And it's time for the Sports Six Pack. Question number one. Of course, Jamie, you participated in the Warrior uh, All-Star Game with the Blues alumni. We got a text from the 636. How come no one is talking about Jamie's superlative performance in the Warrior game in Cam's Brawl at the Puck Drop. What a great event, Steve from St. Peter's. Yeah, it was awesome. We, uh, the, the Blues alumni and the Warrior All-Stars were together on Friday. And it was a Puck Drop about 6.45, and it was awesome. A lot of people in attendance, and it was a great time. And Cam Jansen, um, very playing, play, playfully at the, at the beginning of the game, one of the all-star players said, hey, Cam, let's do this. Puck drops. And Cam was like, really? And so they made it look good. Obviously, no real punches thrown, <laughs> although Cam always manages to throw one just close enough and just strong enough to like, here's your, here's your part of where you realize that uh, it wasn't fun to do this job and you're getting the uh, behind-the-scenes peek at it. And we had a good time. Yeah, we uh, a couple of goal. I had a goal, a couple of assists, and wow. some of the other guys too were playing it. But it wasn't. You know, it was more about uh, recognizing these awesome individuals who have risked everything for our country. And it was the reception afterward was over at the Hollywood Casino. And the best part about these things, Michelle, is it's seeing them following the game, and then all the people that are their family and friends, and a lot of the participants who you know were not able to participate in the game. It's great to shake hands, and for, honestly, for the most part, you're hugging these people, and they're just so appreciative of what we're doing. And I'm like, you've got it backwards, man. Like we appreciate everything you guys have done. Those are always good moments. Oh, it sounds like such a special event, and and you're right. It's it's 
you can't thank them enough. You can't show your appreciation and your gratitude enough for people that make such an incredible sacrifice for us so that we can live our lives in the manner in which we do every day. Um, Jimmy, my apologies to you that we didn't lead the show talking about your unbelievable <laughs> performance over the weekend. A goal, a couple assists. I, I'm sorry that this did not get more of a headline on the show today. So I hope you forgive me. But I, I need to ask you kind of a 1B question to the 1A question in the Sports 6-pack. Okay. Do you think you could take camp? If it really did go there, do you think you could take him? Oh, man. <laughs> Cam and I would never do that. I actually have a funny story about Cam. He was, uh, I, when he was young, he was playing for a junior team called the St. Louis Sting. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting at home, an unsigned, unrestricted free agent. And that's kind of how it went before you'd wait through training camp. And then somebody would figure out, oh, we need a guy. And they'd go and sign. People were out there. Well, I was waiting to be signed, which I eventually signed with the Ottawa Senators that year but cam i ended up helping coach that team and cam was one of the players on that team and then fast forward to the lockout in 2004 uh, i was under contract with the red wings but obviously the nhl wasn't playing at the time so i signed an american hockey league deal to one stay in shape and to earn some money because we were earning zero at the time and i was playing for the hershey bears Young Cam Jansen was playing for the Albany River Rats. That's a minor league name for you, right? Oh, I love it. The oh, Albany yeah. River Rats. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Cam was a rat. That's for sure. <laughs> a river rat. A river rat at that. And he comes out the very first shift, and he looks over at me. His first shift, he's like, you want to go? You want to do this? I'm like, what? I'm like, first of all, I remember when I, you were, I was still wiping your nose for you when you were just a little kid. <laughs> And at the same time, I'm like, we have a full dance card of guys here that would rather do that than me. I'm not here to prove anything. But we laughed it off, and I think he was joking at the time. But, yeah, no, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll give Cam the decision on that one there. He was, <laughs> he had a lot more fights than I ever did. So, we'll definitely hats off for him for doing that job for so long. Question number two. A lot of trash talk. Leading up to Championship Sunday, this one comes from the 480. If you were the mayor of Kansas City, how would you respond to the mayor of Cincinnati's running his mouth, assuming you would respond at all? For the Cincinnati mayor? If you were the, yeah, if you were the Kansas City mayor, what would you say to the Cincinnati mayor after, of course, the Chiefs defeated the Bengals? Yeah, well, for me, I think we just play it up. I think you have fun with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is, uh, these are always fun things. And, I, you know, we've seen it in the past where mayors will have to wear the jersey of the opposing team, city, and or, or whatnot, or the senators that they get into these wagers that are public. And I, I like it. I think it shows a, that there's a lighter side to some of these individuals and because look at especially these days politics can get heated i don't know if anybody's uh, perused social media at all in the last five years but uh, politics is a hot topic so it's uh, for me i like to see this kind of stuff it, it adds a little levity to it wait politics are a hot topic that <laughs> yeah, i don't divide know where people? you've been michelle what? but yeah it's a little touchy i wasn't aware <laughs> um if i'm the kansas city mayor guys i say nothing i just have the mayoral office cut the video of Travis Kelsey owning the mayor on the podium last night and I released that as the video. I mean, is are you going to say anything better than what Kelsey has already said? No. Probably not. So I would just let him do the dirty work for me. He's already done all the heavy lifting. Yeah, I would agree. Or maybe just have the mayor holding the uh, AFC Championship trophy and just yeah. be like, no words necessary. <laughs> I did see uh, on social media, and I don't know if it's still up. Let me uh, Google it. But I did see that someone changed the Wikipedia entry to the oh, mayor of no. Cincinnati as Travis Kelsey, oh, my. which was a, oh, another pretty good own on the Internet today. Let me see if it's still there while you go ahead, Marge. 
Question number three. Jazz Chisholm is the MLB cover athlete for MLB The Show 23. Last year was Shohei Otani. That's your guy, Jamie. That's my guy. Future St. Louis Cardinal. Oh, Would you if choose? If it was up to me. Oh, I wish, Jamie. That'd Do be, not play with awesome. my emotions like that. <laughs> Are you guys cool with Jazz Chisholm being the cover athlete or do you think it should have been somebody else and if so who would you have picked okay so i think jazz chisholm's a a big personality he's fine. okay he, he's fine um i think there are better people for this cover i i just i think the the casual baseball fan doesn't really know a lot about jazz chisholm and, and maybe i'm wrong with that michelle you can correct me for sure but like, I would have certainly circled around if it's going to be a young guy and you're looking for personality, someone that, you know, has a bigger footprint in the social media mm-hmm. um, area or just overall, like, more TV commercials or radio spots or, I don't know. I feel like Jazz Chisholm, his personality, if you know him, if you're in that city, in that clubhouse, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a great pick. But otherwise, it's kind of obscure. I think that Jazz Chisholm is a great player. I think that baseball has a big identity problem. Um, Nationally, people do not consume baseball the way that they do the NBA or the NFL, and part of that is star power. I understand the thought process of wanting to take a young, exciting player, 24-year-old player like Jazz Chisholm, and, and put him on the cover and have it be a big thing where people are now more aware of him, but... St. Louis, Missouri, best baseball town in America. If you go into Schnucks and you pull 20 people and you show them a picture of Jazz Chisholm, are 20 people in St. Louis going to know who that guy is? No, I'm that's probably a, not. 100% agree with you. Probably not. Um, so I understand the thought process of pushing him more as one of the up and coming faces of baseball, but I think they should have put Aaron Judge on there. If you're going to go Shohei Otani, why not another guy who's established, who, who had a big year? Everybody knows who Aaron Judge is. But if there was another young superstar that would be in the conversation here, I would have loved to see Julio Rodriguez. That's I who love J Rod. Oh, I think he's such a stud and so exciting. Yeah, but is he in the same category? though is Jazz Chisholm to where if you did that if you had J-Rod and you pulled 20 people in St. Louis would they know who that is? The only way I would say maybe is because of the home run derby and the all-star game when he kind of had a little bit of a coming out um, on a national stage so maybe people would be a little bit more aware of him nationally um, but yes, you, your thought process there is is spot on. It's the same argument as a Jazz Chisholm. What do we feel about Ronald Acuna Jr.? Because I feel like more people know who he is. The Braves have had success here in the yeah. last couple of years. So they, you know, a lot of people have been able to not only see him, but they've heard his name a lot, too. I feel like that would have been a pretty good choice. Yeah, he's a, he's a stud, too. Isn't that so funny, though? Somebody like a Ronald Acuna Jr., who's a, a star in baseball, a cemented star. And nationally, there's not a lot of people that would know who he is. Can you imagine nationally... Most people not knowing who a a George Kittle is, you know, or I'm just trying to think, uh, let's even put quarterbacks out of the conversation because they are so visible. Um, A Christian McCaffrey. I would imagine most sports fans in America, if you show them a picture of Christian McCaffrey, they know who he is. You'd say, that's a nice young man. (laughs) They wouldn't know who (laughs) it is, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Margie, what did we get to there? We we got only three questions. Yeah, that's your sports oh. three pack for the day. Uh, when we boys. come back here, we've got a Michelle Smallman segment that oh, apparently <laughs> happened when I was away. And I don't know how it happened, but what the bleep is coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What the sh? What's going on? That's just stupid. Are you okay? What the hell? What the hell happened? Surprise, surprise. I don't believe what I just saw. Welcome back to the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. I don't believe what I just heard. That was a <laughs> wonderful drop there by our friend Janet. Uh, and again, this is apparently this is this is what happens when I step away from the show is a Michelle Smallman comes swooping <laughs> in with these segment ideas. So what the bleep is going to happen now? But a reminder real quick in 15 minutes or less than that at the three, uh, four, three forty five hour, we're going to get into blues cues. So if you have any questions or comments regarding the blues, any discussion you want to have. Text in 314-399-9646 or jump on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN mobile app. All right, Michelle, what the bleep? What the bleep, Jamie? So when you were out over the holidays and I was hanging out with Brad Thompson, we were talking about how over the weekend there's so many things in sports that just kind of make us, like our friend Janet, say what the bleep. And we can really compile them all into a little list here. We said, why not make it into a segment called What the Bleep? So that's what we're going to do right now. And there was no shortage of What the Bleep moments over the weekend in sports, specifically in the NFL. So let's start here with Patrick Mahomes. Jamie, he has the high ankle sprain the, the week prior. You see him during the week. He's a full participant in practice. You see him when he meets with the media. He's not wearing a walking boot. He looks great. Part of me thought this might just be a little gamesmanship. We have seen many athletes deal with high ankle sprains, and there's no, I kept thinking there's no way that he's going to be able to be a full participant in this game. I I know every player is different. I know every injury is different. Not every high ankle sprain is created the same. But I remember seeing Sam Bradford on a high ankle sprain and, and the limited mobility that he had. But here we see Patrick Mahomes coming out and absolutely bawling on one leg. He finishes 29 of 43, 326 yards, two touchdowns. And he he spoke after the game, Jimmy, about everything that went into the treatment of this ankle that allowed him to play yesterday. I didn't expect to be able to run very much um, just from the way it felt, but uh, the training staff, Julie, did a great job of uh, getting me enough range of, uh, and mobility that I was able to protect myself and at the end of the game there, I had a run to, to get the first down, and we got us into field goal range. So uh, uh, credit to them, and then uh, just trying to stay on it, and uh, we have two more weeks, so we got to keep doing it. Jamie, what the bleep? What kind of witchcraft did these trainers do on this ankle that allowed Patrick Mahomes to play the way he did? And we saw him limping. Clearly, he was in a bit of a pain, so I don't want to minimize the toughness that he showed, but what the bleep, Jamie? Yeah, so this is a situation where, you know, like you described it, uh, as you were kind of rolling it out here, is every player is different. Every guy has a different tolerance to pain, and everybody, you know, as far as some of the medication or maybe the freezing that was involved, everybody's body takes to it in a different way. Certainly the training staff, he mentioned one of the trainers by name, Julie, that she did a great job of getting him ready and rehabbed and good to go for the game. So, yeah, I think a combination of the player's toughness along with maybe some of the medicine provided – to him and then alongside that the the physical therapy that he got throughout the week leading up to the game it made a difference and then at the end of it all it's just the the player's desire and his will 
to battle through whatever pain that was going on that day. Really impressive all the way around from the training staff, his dedication to being at the facility to get the treatments, the way he he gutted it out and played just credit to everyone involved. But what the bleep indeed. Now, Jamie, earlier in the show, we talked about some of the trash talk between the Bengals and the Chiefs heading into the AFC championship game. And one of the most widely talked about pieces of trash talk was Cincinnati referring to Arrowhead Stadium as Burrowhead because Joe Burrow had a 3-0 and record against Kansas City. Well, they took that personal. That was definitely some bulletin board material for Kansas City. And after the game, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey made it a point to interrupt the CBS postgame interview and say, Burrowhead my ass, it's Mahomes' house. <laughs> so what the bleep, Jamie? What What are your thoughts on not only the trash talk before the game, but Travis Kelsey's response after? I would expect no less, right? Travis Kelsey's an emotional guy. He's extremely competitive. He is one of, if not the greatest tight end are certainly one of the greatest receivers in the history of the game, and he just continues to prove why. And he's got his guys back, too. Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, are they're bros. They're homies. They, like, <laughs> hang out. They're, like, actually best friends away from the field. So if you hear somebody talking smack about your best friend and certainly calling it Burrowhead, then you got to fire back. So nothing but credit to Travis Kelsey for verbally firing back and having Patrick Mahomes uh, having his back in that moment. You gotta fight for your right to party! I'm sure they partied last night. I would they, hope so. And they deserved it. This one certainly had me stra- scratching my head, guys. So let's talk about the other game. The Eagles, they punched their ticket to the Super Bowl, defeating the San Francisco 49ers 31-7. to A lot of talk about it on social media, of course. People congratulating the Eagles for uh, making it all the way to the Super Bowl. A lot of people not expecting the Empire State Building to get in the mix there as one of the, I don't know, social media accounts or entities to congratulate the Eagles. Uh, not only because the Empire State Building is located in New York City and the Philadelphia Eagles are the rivals of the New York Giants, but the Eagles beat the Giants and ended their playoff run so the the empire state building not only congratulated the eagles on social media but they lit up the empire state building green and white in honor of the eagles and their nfc championship victory so what the bleep how that would be like the arch having a a light on it cubby blue congratulating (laughs) the cubs you just can't do that empire state building yeah somebody i hope lost their job in all of this (laughs) um because you can't have that going on Your team got punted from the playoffs by this Philadelphia Eagles team. The rivalry is real between all of their sports franchises. And to your point, like you say, Cubby Blue, it'd be like a billboard downtown St. Louis, you know, congratulating the Chicago Blackhawks after they had beaten your team. And, oh, yeah, go Blackhawks. No. No, you don't do that. I have no idea. I feel like we need to dig deeper into this story. Uh, Andrew, I'm personally putting you in charge of finding out who runs the lights for the Empire State Building, and I want to get them on this show. We want our pound of flesh. It almost seems like someone lost a bet. Like they lost a bet and they had to do that. Like that's what I would assume. I hope. Or maybe somebody just had too many beverages. I I don't know. (laughs) It just... And Michelle, you look, you're in New York right oh, yeah. now. I can't imagine that the population of New York City was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. 
people were enraged by this, which I completely understand uh, on so many levels. But I was thinking, guys, maybe it was somebody who was behind enemy lines. Maybe the person who lit up the Empire State Building last night is from Philly and saw this as their opportunity to to make some noise and to congratulate their team on their enemy's turf before maybe they get got fired. Maybe it was their mic drop moment. Who knows? But we do need some answers here. Yeah, we got to get to the bottom of it for sure. Well, that was What the Bleep with our great friend, Michelle Smallman. We teased Blue's cues heading into this. So, again, 314-399-9646 if you have a question regarding the St. Louis Blues or if you want to have your voice heard. The 101 ESPN mobile app has the old mic drop feature. Just click the little microphone, leave that. Our guy, Marshy, will see to it that it hits the airwaves. But we've got uh, more talk on the St. Louis Blues and about their chances to become a playoff team coming up next here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. What the sh- Back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now it's time for the Fast Lane's Blues Cues. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We put it out to you guys. If you have any blues questions, text them in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, or use the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN mobile app. I'm Jamie Rivers driving the bus today, and I got Michelle Smallman riding shotgun with me. Marshy, what do we got? Let's start with the 443 After looking at the Blues' struggles this year, I began to look for the thing that changed from last year's dominance. I don't think losing David Perron was enough, and I want to point at the coaching. Last year, Craig Bruby had Jim Montgomery helping him out, and look at the Bruins' success this season. Do you guys think that I'm on to something? There's no doubt. Okay, now listen, I don't think it's solely because of Jim Montgomery leaving, but if you look at Jim Montgomery's track record as a coach overall, he won the USHL title. He won the NCAA championship. He came up to the NHL with the Dallas Stars, pushed our very own St. Louis Blues to the brink, except the hometown hero had something to say about that, the big rig Pat Maroon, putting Monty out of the playoffs. And then, of course, Monty had some personal battles that he had to overcome. The Blues extended the invitation for him to come and join the staff. He fits in immediately, does an incredible job with the Blues, so much so that the Boston Bruins come calling and say, hey, we'd like to have you be our head coach. And now they're the best team in the NHL. None of that is a coincidence for Jim Montgomery. So I think that, yes, you're missing that voice. uh, You're missing that personality. And the one thing, Michelle, that Jim Montgomery did that nobody really was aware of that I started unpacking this a little bit earlier this year is he'd take a group of like five of the young guys or three of the young guys, in particular Thomas, Cairo, and and players like that, and he'd, he'd have them do five game segments and in those segments he would have them you know shots on goal uh, defensive opportunities given up body checks shot blocks whatever fit into the category of what made them a better player they had goals to achieve within those five game segments and at the end of those five games you'd go over the numbers you go over the video you go over things that were good things that maybe need improving maybe things that were bad and it what it did is it kept 
the focus going. It was ever ongoing with these guys that every game meant something to them. And so mm -hmm. they were trying to improve all the time. And I think, I don't know if the Blues are continuing to do that. I'm not privy to that. But I do know that from my perspective, I feel like that was a really good way to keep the young players engaged and also showing them when they're improving or where, maybe where they're failing at the time. That's such a great nugget, Jamie, about what made Jim Montgomery so successful with the Blues. Uh, and you're right, especially with young players, sometimes things can feel overwhelming. Giving them little goals like that, that they can zero in on and stay focused while also pushing themselves and growing in different ways, I think is a great strategy. But having Jim Montgomery on your staff was a steal for the Blues. <laughs> I mean, he did not leave Dallas because he was a bad coach. As you mentioned, he had personal battles that he was dealing with, and it was only a matter of time before he got another opportunity. And the fact that the Blues were able to have... A a head coach of his caliber on their staff in addition to Craig Ruby was incredible. And I know that he was so successful with them on special teams. He was a huge contributor to what the Blues were doing on special teams. And that is a big loss to remove somebody like that from your staff. And everybody knows how I feel about David Perron as a player and as a leader because he was on Character and Smallman Weekly. And um, I just thought he provided us such great insight into the team. And you know, it, take my, my personal feelings about him as a person away. I just felt like I learned so much about the team and about him and speaking to him every week. And so you remove Jim Montgomery from the equation and you remove David Perron out of the equation, a guy who was a big-time connector between a lot of the veteran players and a lot of the young guys. He was also a conduit for the coaching staff to the players. And I think there is some voids there that you're seeing with the team. There are some holes that they're looking to fill, both on the coaching staff and in the in the dressing room. All right, this one comes from the 424. What happened to the days when a line of forwards were put together and kept together? Chemistry in hockey means a lot. Well, yeah, it does, but you also have to have a healthy lineup, too. And that's one thing that uh, it's not like it's an excuse for the Blues. It's just a fact is you've had bodies in and out of the lineup from the very beginning of the season. Gosh, I think it's only been a couple of games where the Blues have actually had their entire roster healthy. So that's going to be an ever-evolving line combination nightmare for Craig Berube and his mm -hmm. staff. But the NHL has changed, too. It's no longer the three-man chemistry type thing. Everybody tries to find pairs of players. And you'll even see teams around the league that have some of the best players in the game. You look at the Edmonton Oilers. And Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will be broken up for, you know, half the game. And then they'll put them together for half the game. Or it's one game on, one game off. It's just, it's ever evolving to where the team sees that the biggest success can come from. Craig Berube uh, has been known to try and keep certain pairs together, but those pairs have been absolutely blown up this year because one, you lost David Perron. So there goes the shake and bake for Ryan O'Reilly. He's been trying to find that uh, for Ryan O'Reilly the rest of the, for this entire season, but now Ryan O'Reilly being hurt and then Vladimir Tarasenko being hurt. Now he's back and other guys are out. It's just been a nightmare uh, logistically for Chief and, uh, you know, Michelle, it, it's always tough to find that chemistry when you don't have that consistency of the same bodies in the lineup. Yeah, injuries are going to force your hand. You're going to have to fill those holes <laughs> with with healthy players. But also, we've seen Chief many times throughout his tenure as the head coach of the Blues not be afraid to shake up the lineups if he's trying to get a spark from his team. And at times when you've seen the Blues play a little lifeless, of course he's going to try to, to shake it up and... Uh, try to provide a spark for his team. 
From the 314, if the trade deadline was tomorrow, what moves would you make? Or what moves do you think the Blues will end up making in general? Ooh, Michelle, you go first. You have the honors. <sighs> this one's so hard for me, Jamie, because... <laughs> I, I'm we, sewering we, you right now. <laughs> I, I honestly, this is like your head and your heart battling it out, right? Uh-huh. Like, my head says you move Ryan O'Reilly you got, because you're going to... Michelle, you, I want you to... I want you to channel your <laughs> your inner Doug Armstrong okay. here, okay? So, so I'm there's no the emotion, okay? okay? Yep, I'm Army. I am a stone-cold assassin. I am taking the knife, jamming it into the eyes of the other <laughs> GMs across the league, into their brain, and I'm killing them, okay? I'm going to steal a, a player from them right, like I've done party. many times in the past, right? Okay, yeah. can you see the change in my face? I am Doug Armstrong. Then I'm moving Ryan O'Reilly, okay? The Michelle Smallman in me in the back of my head is like, no, he's the captain. He was the missing piece that brought you a cup. You can't move on from Ryan O'Reilly. Who's the leader in the dressing room if you move? That's Michelle. If I am Doug Armstrong, I am looking at the pieces I have on the board. I'm looking at a team that is underperforming, and I am looking for a way to maximize my va- my return and also, you're sending a big-time message to this team. If, if you move on from Ryan O'Reilly, everybody in that dressing room knows that nobody is safe. Now, again, we're back to Michelle, who wants to throw up even talking about this, Jamie. <laughs> I hate the idea of Ryan O'Reilly not ha- wearing the note. But if I'm Army and I'm looking for a return, if I don't think this team is good enough, he's the best piece I have on the board. Yeah, I agree 100%. So if I'm going stone cold Steve Austin on this one here, <laughs> then Ryan O'Reilly is the very first player I'm targeting because I think that every team in the league, well, almost every team in the league would trade for Ryan O'Reilly. He's definitely a missing piece for your club if you're looking to get over the hump and win a Stanley Cup. He's proven he can win it. He's proven he performs well in the playoffs. He's one of the best 200-foot players in the NHL. I think the return for Ryan O'Reilly is going to be the best one you can get. Now, at the same time, I'm liquidating at this point. If, if, if tomorrow was the trade deadline, um, then I would be looking to find a dance partner for Vladimir Tarasenko, getting as many you know draft picks or acquisitions as I possibly can. Ivan Barbashev, I'd like to re-sign Ivan Barbashev. I think keeping Ivan Barbashev and Noel Achari, I would like to continue to keep that kind of culture and foundation in place. So this is a day where I'd be offering those two guys contract extensions. And in return, I'd be looking to move O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and I would move on from Nico Mikola. I think you could get a little something for him out there. Tyler Tucker has proven that he can step in and kind of fulfill that duty of the bottom pair left-hand side defenseman. So that would be my moves if I was heading into the trade deadline and if I was channeling my inner Doug Armstrong. That was your Blues cues there. We have something big happening next, Michelle. Okay. What is it? Well, we have the gauntlet. Okay. Now we have a new format. We'll go over that when we come back on the backside of this. Uh, But we have a contestant that is in the last leg. Marshy is up for the save. If Marshy loses, we hand out a second gauntlet trophy in like four weeks. Oh, wow. I don't like where we're headed with this. <laughs> but that's coming up next here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you survive the gauntlet? 404 here inside the Fast Lane at 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, an official provider of Rolex jewelry. We've got a returning gauntlet contestant, Tim. Tim, how are we doing today? 
I'm doing great. All right. Well, for those who haven't been paying attention, Tim is on the last leg of the gauntlet. If he beats our guy Marshy today, he goes on to collect the second gauntlet trophy, I think, first four weeks of its existence. Not exactly something I'm very happy about, Tim. Well, I get it, but uh, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marshy, here's what we're going to do. Spin the wheel, get the heck out of here so we can get do- down to business here. Ooh, heavy spin. He's been working out. That's a Price is Right spin. Yeah. Uh, Marshy, I have to be able to see where the wheel falls. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now get the heck out of here. Marshy spun the wheel and then put the wheel where I couldn't see it. Imagine that stuff, Tim. Oh, well, that sounds like something he'd do. All right, so... For those who don't know, the, the gauntlet 2.0 goes like this, is the contestants pick who they want to battle, and then the wheel picks the category. So no longer do you get Jamie in hockey all the time or BT in baseball or Anthony in football. Now we just have no idea what's going on. Well, today it's random. So Marshy used to be random anyways. So I don't know if this falls into his wheelhouse or not, Tim, but you know some of these questions are awfully random. Yes, they are. All right. Are you ready to go, my man? I'm ready. Okay, question one. Which U.S. state is the only state to have an alcoholic beverage be their official state beverage? Oh, wow. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, let's go with the options on that one. All right. Is it Texas, Alabama, or Florida? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Total guess. We're going to go with Florida. Final answer. Final answer. All right. Question number two. Which animal has the best sense of smell in the world? Oh, wow. These are tough. Um, (laughs) For the trophy, Tim, uh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Let's go with the options one more time. Okay. The question is, which animal has the best sense of smell in the world? Is it elephants, dogs, or sharks? Oh, wow. Um, Something's telling me the sharks. Let's go sharks. Final answer. All right. Thank you. Question three, Tim. What geometric shape is typically used for stop signs? (laughs) <laughs> See, that's one, two. Three. Uh, give me the options. All right. Is it an octagon, a hexagon, or a decagon? It's, uh, can I have those one more time real quick? Yeah. O- octagon, hexagon, decagon. Uh, let's go with hexagon, final answer. All right. Okay, and finally, question number four. Which country won the first ever World Cup? Oh, my goodness. Going to have to go with the options. Okay. Is it Argentina? Is it Uruguay? Or is it France? Um, Boy, another total guess. We're going to go with France. Final answer. All right, buddy. Let's get Marshy back in here. 
We'll see how he does here. We're not going to tell him what it is, okay? <laughs> All right, he walks in. Marshy has his strut, Michelle, as you know. He chunks yeah. down a water. He gets that look on his face. He thinks he's Joe Burrow right now. Uh-huh. Hopefully cool. better than Joe Burrow was yesterday. Jamie's. All right, Marshy, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. You better pack a lunch, my uh, friend. Need the save. Okay, here we go. Question one. Which U.S. state? No. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> random, baby. Oh, my. Which U.S. state is the only state to have an alcoholic beverage be their official state beverage? Uh, I'm going to need the options. Can't imagine why. All right. Is it Texas, Alabama, or Florida? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with. Alabama. Final answer? Final answer. Why not? All right. Question number two. Which animal has the best sense of smell in the world? The best sense of smell. Uh, going to need the options on that one. <laughs> Is it elephants, dogs, or sharks? Ooh. I feel like it's got to be either sharks or uh, or dogs. Dogs are pretty good. <laughs> but, man, when sharks smell blood in the water, I'm going to go with sharks, a.k.a. Anthony's favorite hockey team. Final answer. Okay, final answer. All righty, question three. What geometric shape is typically used for stop signs? Uh, the octagon, right? Yeah. I'm asking you. Final answer, octagon. <laughs> All right. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Hold on. You did say oh, final I did. answer. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I had to draw it up. Sorry. No, yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, octagon. I didn't say anything. You octagon. said final answer, and you know what that means. It's locked in. That's fine. I need a ruling, Jamie. Is a side game of Pictionary allowed? Is he allowed to draw it out? Uh, I mean, we don't ever specify that okay. you're not allowed to. Most of our listeners are probably driving, so it's probably maybe an unfair advantage, but uh, maybe they're sitting at home. Maybe they have an Etch-A-Sketch, and we don't know about it. You yeah, know? fair. All right. <laughs> Just because I draw it out doesn't mean I actually know what... What it's called. What it's called. It's I believe I do know what it's called, so that's why. Okay. I just had to, you know... All right. Are you sure. good? I don't want to second-guess myself, but let's go. Are you good? I'm good. Okay. Okay. Last question, question number four. Which country won the first ever World Cup? It's common knowledge, this one. Oh, God. <laughs> Options. Argentina, Uruguay, France. France, final answer. All right, let's start right there. We'll start right there. Which country won the first ever World Cup? Tim, you said France. Marshy, you said France. The answer is? Uruguay. Uruguay! What? Yeah, I mean, who didn't know that? Michelle, did you know that? I did not. <laughs> You're our no soccer clue. person, too. Yeah. No, no, no clue. All right, well, zero, zero uh, <laughs> after one. Let's go to question number one. Which U.S. state is the only state to have an alcoholic beverage be their official state beverage? Tim, you used the options. You said Florida. Marshy, you used the options. You said Alabama. The answer is? Alabama. Alabama. Oh. One nothing, Marshy. After two. 
Let's go to question number two. Which animal has the best sense of smell in the world? Tim, you took the options. You said sharks. Marshy, you took the options. You said a shark can smell blood in the water. <laughs> the answer is? The one with the trunk. It's elephants. It's the elephant. Huh. I know. A little bit of an outlier there. So, one nothing. Headed into the final question. The geometric question of the day. <laughs> what geometric shape is typically used for stop signs? Tim, you took the options. You said hexagon. Marshy, you... I don't know what you did. You didn't take the options. You said final answer. Then you weren't. Then you were drawing and you did all this stuff. Finally come back around to the answer that you gave us, which was octagon. The answer is... Gentlemen, it's Octagon. Tim? You no. have chosen poorly. <laughs> you lose! <laughs> oh, man, Tim, I'm sorry. He got you there. Final score of 3 nothing. He pitched a shutout against you. Oh, man, I, I, I feel like the refs were on his side. <laughs> Just like yesterday. Oh, <laughs> man. Well played, well played. Well, Tim, look, we really appreciate you listening, appreciate you playing. Hope you have a great day, man. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It was right. awesome. Take care, Tim. All right, All right, Marshy, that's another save for you. You've had a couple here under your belt. That one, uh, I was not confident whatsoever. The other two felt good. That one, not so much. I struggled to, to remember that octagon was what a stop sign looked looked like. So well, there you um, go. Well, our guy, we got it. We got it. We're good. Our guy, go. Tim, talked about uh, the officials from some of the games yesterday. Well, we're going to bring in an expert on all things football. We're going to talk to Adam Teicher next here from ESPN on 101 The Fast Lane. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's a fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers here joined by Michelle Smallman for the day. Well, we head out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Adam Teicher, who is a ESPN NFL Nation reporter. And we had lots of questions regarding the games yesterday, so we figured we'd go to somebody who knew what they're talking about. Adam, how are we doing today? Good. How are you all doing today? Well, we're good. We're good. I have so many questions about yesterday. So many. Where do I start? Let's, can, if you don't mind, let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles game against the 49ers. And Michelle and I kind of bounced this around earlier today. But I, I, I just wonder, did we learn anything about the Eagles yesterday based on the fact that they played a team that literally didn't even have a quarterback at one point. Christian McCaffrey was going to possibly be under center for the 49ers. What did that show us about the Eagles? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, the 49ers were down to a fifth string quarterback, right? At one point. So um, not much of a challenge there. But you know what? They at least they took care of business. You know, it's not like um, you know the, the game carried much uh, drama. Um, you know, they they sort of uh, got ahead of things pretty quickly and, and took care of business. So uh, I didn't see a lot of the game, but uh, impressed with uh, you know the the one sided nature again, given that uh, 
you know, one team really didn't have an NFL quality quarterback for a lot of the game. Well, Adam, let's swing to the other game, the Bengals and the Chiefs. We talked about this earlier in the show, but I said to Jamie, I know that Patrick Mahomes makes the impossible look possible all the time, but being in sports for as long as we have, we've seen many athletes deal with high ankle sprains, and it sidelines them for weeks. And even though we saw him limping at time, here's Patrick Mahomes stepping up to the plate when his team needs him, and he's able to deliver them the victory to send them to the Super Bowl despite that injury. And you have a great piece up at ESPN.com about how he was able to get ready to play the game, but how hurt really was Patrick Mahomes in that game yesterday yeah you know the Chiefs were encouraged throughout the week last week they thought that the week had gone about as well for him as it could have gone that um, you know that they, they thought he could do some of the things that um, he needed to do to for them to win the game and, and be who he was um, you know obviously excuse me he was still a little bit limited but um, you know, fought through that and, um, you know, made some plays uh, to, to help him win the game. You know, he uh, I was he did some things we hadn't seen the week before from him after the injury. You know, he, he actually uh, ran around and, and got outside the pocket, made a couple throws out there, which is something he does all the time, as we know. And he uh, was able to scramble a little bit, you know, that, that game-ending play or the, the one near the end when he scrambled and got out of bounds and got hit out of bounds with the penalty that set up the field goal. Uh, you know, that's probably something he couldn't have done last week, even though he wasn't moving uh, very quickly. He was looked like he was kind of moving in slow motion there, but still uh, uh, was able to make it go. And I don't think that's something he would have been able to do the week before with the injury. So the Chiefs are encouraged, and he's encouraged that – with two weeks off this time, that maybe things um, you know can get even better for him. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But they have reason to believe that it will get better. We're talking to Adam Teicher here, ESPN NFL Nation reporter. Adam, it's probably pretty obvious to think that the Eagles are going to look to do their best to shut down Patrick Mahomes, but also take away Travis Kelsey in the Super Bowl. If the Chiefs are going to be successful Who's going to have to elevate their game in order to give them a, a good chance at winning that championship? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, hey, uh, the Eagles, uh, a lot of teams want to take away Travis Kelsey, and it's a lot more difficult than uh, than just saying it. So we'll see what they come up with. Maybe they'll be successful. Maybe they won't. But, um, you know, the, the Chiefs had uh, – you know, they finished that game with four of their top six wide receivers not playing. Uh, three of them got injured in the game. One was sick and, and didn't even suit up. So um, they were down to a, a guy they brought off the practice squad the day before the game on Saturday. Um, um, so they're really thin right now, and they're going to need some of their guys to come back. I mean, the guy I'm looking at is uh, um, uh, Kadarius Tony. You know, they traded for him from the Giants midway through the season, and uh you know, he's had some injuries since he's been here, but when he's been healthy, he's done a dec- he's done a nice job. He's got a, a pretty interesting skill set that seems to fit for really well with what the Chiefs ask him to do. So, um, you know, I don't know whether he yet whether he's going to be in, in any shape to play uh, uh, in two weeks. But if he is, that's kind of a guy I'm looking at as uh, potentially maybe uh, uh, needing to have a big game for the Chiefs. 
Adam, I want to go back to yesterday because there was a lot of headlines heading into the game about Burrowhead. The Bengals saying that Joe Burrow has owned the Chiefs and they they called it Burrowhead. And after the game, we we heard um, Travis Kelsey interrupt the CBS broadcast to address it. You saw Chris Jones saying, don't ever disrespect Arrowhead Stadium. How much was that used as bulletin board material by this team heading into the game? Well, yeah, the Chiefs kept it under wraps to mo- to, for the most part um, during the week last week. But you could tell it was uh, by just some of their maybe sarcastic comments that it wasn't sitting well and, and, the, and it wasn't going over well at all. And uh, um, and now you see some things, that, you know, the things that were said publicly, of course, but there was also some things put on social media by some players that were uh, – um, you know, given a hard time to what some of the things the Bengals said, Burrowhead and all that, and Joe Burrow's you know cigar after he wins a big game, you know that kind of stuff. So um, you know they, uh, they, they it, it was obvious the Chiefs uh, didn't like all that stuff going on, and um, um, you know, but uh, hey, they they needed to win the game before they were able to talk back because the Bengals had beaten them three times in the last. Two seasons, so uh, finally the Chiefs can uh, uh, speak their mind here. Adam, a question regarding the Chiefs and the Eagles matchup. Uh, In your opinion, for the Chiefs to beat the Eagles, what are they going to have to take care of? What's their biggest challenge facing the Eagles? Yeah, they're going to have to play defense like they did yesterday. Um, I I sort of thought the Bengals were going to have the advantage yesterday just because I I didn't really trust the Chiefs defensively. They've been kind of up and down all year long and, and, uh, um, you know, prone to some stretches where they don't get a whole lot productive done. And uh, so I I was wondering about where they'd be defensively. But, hey, they answered the bell in a big way. They sacked Burrow five times. You know they'd had they sacked him only six times in the three previous games. Um, you know they they uh, um, they forced a couple turnovers. They intercepted him twice. They'd only had one turnover against the Bengals in the previous three games, and they made the Bengals kick a couple field goals. You know they uh, they, they uh, were only one for three scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So. Uh, um, the Chiefs did a pretty nice job down there, too, and they, they had not been very good at that during the regular season. So they, they really stepped up defensively, and I, and I think um, they're going to need to play that way against the, um, the Eagles. They're going to have to get some meaningful contributions from their, um, from their defense. Um, you know, hey, Pat Mahomes did some great things yesterday on a bum ankle and, and might do that against the Eagles, but uh, – um, I, I don't know how the Chiefs, uh, you know, they're going to need some help from the other parts of their game to win against a, an opponent like that. So I, I'm expecting or looking for the Chiefs. Um, I think this game will come down to when the Eagles have the ball and how much can they get done and how much can the Chiefs get done and who wins that battle because uh, I think the Chiefs will be okay when they have the ball. But uh, um, uh, so I, I feel like it's, it's just a matter of what the Chiefs can do on defense. Adam, I wanted to ask you about the coaching in this game because one of the big storylines heading into the Super Bowl is going to be Andy Reid facing off against the team that he formerly coached. But when you look at this coaching matchup on paper, who do you think has the advantage? On um, the coaching matchup, uh, well, you have to go with Andy Reid. I mean, he's this is his, what, 30-some, uh, 30-something uh, playoff game, and Nick Sirianni is just going to be his third. So, uh 
um, you know, the Chiefs have a veteran staff who's been there and done that. So, um, um, you know, you have to uh, favor the Chiefs in that regard. They've been through this three times now in the last four years. So um, I, I think if you're, you know, doing one of your little uh, matchup things, you definitely would um, give the Chiefs the advantage here. Well, either way, I think it's going to be an amazing game. Going to be a lot of storylines that develop between now and then. Adam, we thank you so much for your time. Again, that's Adam Teicher. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Adam Teicher, ESPN NFL Nation reporter. Adam, thank you so much. Looking forward to maybe chatting with you again sometime. Absolutely. Good stuff, guys. All right. Thank you. Again, that was Adam Teicher joining us with some good stuff about the Chiefs and the Eagles matchup moving forward. Michelle, I think it's going to be a fun game to dissect. I think it's going to be great to watch Andy Reid specifically coach against the team that he was with for so long as well. Yeah, you know, like I just mentioned, that that's going to be one of the big storylines heading into this game. Andy Reid going going against Philly, a team that he uh, has history with. And I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup, Jamie, when you have the two columns putting checks on on which team has the advantage because you could really make an argument either way for either of these teams. That's Michelle Smallman, Jamie Rivers here. I've got one more segment before I head downtown to do some Bally's work for the Blues game. Then Brad Thompson, our very own BT, is going to jump here onto the bus, and he's going to drive the bus the rest of the way with Michelle Smallman. But coming up next, we talked about the Blues and the trade deadline and what they have to prove to be a playoff team. we got some great stuff coming up on the backside here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. exactly sure what the trade market's going to look like. I do think the winds are blowing a lot harder now than they were two weeks ago when I wrote a story about how the GMs are approaching the trade deadline. And a lot of them said, look, it's, it's super quiet. One of the GMs told me there's a muddy middle in the standings right now. Teams that don't know if they're in it or if they're out of it. Once they have a better sense of where they are, then you're going to start to see the trade market open up because a lot of those players they might have been holding on to in the hopes they could finish in a wild card spot are all of a sudden going to become available. And, and I think the Blues are probably one of those teams. That was Greg Wyshynski earlier here in the Fast Lane. If you missed that interview, go back, download the podcast following the show. We got it all right there on the website. And that's brought to you by Dobbs, Tyron Auto. We talked to Greg uh, extensively about the Blues' playoff chances and some of their, we'll call them trade pieces or guys that could be available in the trade market. And you know, we, we talked about guys like Ivan Barbashev. And, Michelle, I don't know about you, I, I think I was surprised to hear Greg bring up that name by himself without being prompted because I had Ivan Barbashev's name kind of written down here. I wanted to see if the, you know, if Greg had any input on that, but he brought him up without being prompted. Mm -hmm. That surprised me a little bit. How about you? Are you suggesting Jamie that maybe he got information from another team that could be interested in someone like an Ivan Barbashev? Well, there's a reason that he brought it (laughs) up, right? Like, so a guy like Greg has got his ear to the ground all Mm -hmm. the time when it comes to NHL trade rumors and just discussions. And so for him to say, kind of hearing Ivan Barbashev's name out there, I don't think he was hearing it from Doug Armstrong because Army doesn't talk to anybody. I mean, somebody else out there is asking questions about Ivan Barbashev. Well, 
And I can understand why they would, because a lot of the teams that might be looking to add that one final piece or that one extra piece that they think could push them over the top or help them contend for a Stanley Cup. And Ivan Barbashev is a valuable piece. When we look at the the Blues team that won a cup, I always look back to somebody like an Oscar Sundquist when he was healthy. You know, he's not the first person that you're going to mention, but he's somebody that really was a huge driving force that helped the Blues go win the cup. Somebody like Ivan Barbashev would be very valuable. Uh, to a team who might be looking to add one more piece to get them to a cup. Well, there's also more information that I found surprising because I look at guys like Ivan Barbashev and Noel Achari, and I always feel like the hometown or the franchise that he plays for, they usually value those players more than what outsiders value them as because we know every day what you're getting from Ivan Barbashev and Noel Achari and mm-hmm. guys like that. So I was also a little surprised when I asked Greg about what you could potentially get for an Ivan Barbashev. Here's what Greg had to say about it. It's all going to be dependent on what the market is, what the competition is, how many teams are in on a player like Barbashev. It wouldn't shock me to see a second rounder and a, a you know mid prospect for a guy that could be a real a, you know is an NHL player who could be an influence in somebody's bottom six. But again, the, the market's going to tell us what his value is overall. So that surprised me a little bit because I'm looking at the market and, you know, for Ryan O'Reilly, the going rate's going to be like a first-round pick and a prospect. Mm -hmm. For Vladimir Tarasenko, you're hoping to get a first-round pick and a prospect. It'll depend on who he goes to and who he says yes to. Unfortunately, Vladimir Tarasenko's no-trade clause might dictate what the Blues get back in return. But, Michelle, does that surprise you at all to hear that a second rounder and maybe a prospect for an Ivan Barbashev? A little bit, yeah. And you're right. We do tend to overvalue our guys because we have eyes on them all the time. But if we're going back to the theory that maybe Greg, with his ear to the ground, had heard about Barbie uh being of interest to some teams, I'm sure he would have then followed up with what would you want in return for him or what would be the going rate? So I take that uh, with a little bit of, of a little bit more than a grain of salt. We'll put it that way. And I also Jamie put into the equation that Doug Armstrong tends to extract more from other GMs. So would I be surprised if Doug Armstrong got a second rounder for him? No, because Doug Armstrong tends to strong arm other GMs and get more for players than we expect them to be worth. Yeah, exactly. And so time will tell whether the Blues go down that path of liquidating all unrestricted free agents. We'll see if they try to you know, re-up a Ryan O'Reilly or a Vladimir Tarasenko, which I find, I feel like that's highly doubtful that you see Vladimir Tarasenko finish the season in a Blues jersey, just based on where the team's at right now. But one guy who I'm happy that he wears the blue note is Jordan Bennington. And Greg Wyshynski, in the past, has been somewhat critical of Jordan Bennington and, and we'll call it his passion or antics. We asked we asked Greg Wyshynski earlier. We said, you know, what, how do you feel about Jordan Bennington? And were, was it okay by your standards seeing what happened on Saturday against the Avalanche? Here's what he had to say. I think there are times when his, as you said, antics are, are a, a little bit not in sync with what the team needs, maybe a little bit selfish. And then there are times when the fiery personality, I think, could be beneficial. And, and as much as I'm Sometimes critical of Bennington, I, I, I have had uh, fought many an analytics versus eye test battle with Blues fans and Blues media this year regarding his performance. I do think that what he did in that game 
was ultimately what the team needed, and they responded. I mean, they rallied in the game. Ultimately, they didn't lose, but they did rally in the game after that point. So, Michelle, Greg also went on in our conversation to talk about how you know, the enforcers, the the, the, the old-day enforcers were out there to change the vibe of the game or to, to pump up their team. And I asked this of you earlier, but hearing that again from Greg Wyshynski talking about how to motivate his team and to get his team going, I still find that to be very concerning that the Blues are looking at their goaltender to be that so-called energy player. But if not Jordan Bennington, then who is the energy player? I know, player? but isn't that the source of the problem right yes. there? Yes, yes. We know if we look in at situations past, you know, Braden Shen is always going to be the guy to fall on the sword. He's always going to drop the gloves and be the one to try to spark his team. But let's take him off the table. Who else would you put in that bucket? Who else is that guy that you know is going to go out there and sacrifice his body to try to, to get something going for his team? Yeah, the only guys in in recent history right now are Tyler Tucker, but he's back down in Springfield, Jake Neighbors, and Ivan Barbashev. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys. Nolachari plays hard too, but you know, it's it's still always kind of the same guys. It would be nice to see somebody step out of character to kind of jump into that mix. And I feel like that's why Jordan Bennington does do these things, is because he's not seeing the response that he wants from, you know, some of his teammates. Now, we also got a good mic drop here. Marshy made sure to circle this mic drop from Scott. So before we get to break, we're going to visit the mic drop here from Scott. Let's see what he had to say. So a lot of people are frustrated with the blue season, and rightfully so, but where a lot of people might look at this as a failed season, I think blues brass and a lot of us should look at it as an opportunity because the blues haven't been in a position like this in a long time because they've been so good for such a sustained extended amount of time. We were a little bit spoiled as Blues fans to always have a contending team, kind of like the Cardinals, right? But we're actually going to hopefully be able to capitalize on talent we have that's underperforming. Regrettably offload some of it, but for picks, the Blues need to rebuild, in my opinion. They have to retool the roster. I go through this with the football team that I like right now, the Tennessee Titans. They always contend, but their roster is not up to par compared to the rest of the league. And they might overperform expectations occasionally, but every now and then you need to rebuild. You need to get new players. You have to refresh and re-energize your minor league system and go from there. I think it's as simple as that. This should be looked at as an opportunity, not as a missed or lost season. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Well, great stuff there from Scott, and he's not wrong. You know, sometimes sustained success is ultimately a curse for a franchise because you don't get that chance to not necessarily rebuild, but maybe retool it a little bit and and restock the cupboard. So good mic drop there from Scott. Um, And that will do it for my day here in the fast lane. You got Michelle Smallman, who's joining us today and tomorrow. Michelle, great stuff today. I'm looking forward to tomorrow already. Yes, it was great hanging out with you, Jamie. I will be watching you tonight, and I can't wait to hang out with you again tomorrow. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to hand you off to BT now, and he's going to be <laughs> driving the rest of the way, but I know you guys are going to do awesome. So Brad Thompson jumping on as the driver of the fast lane here, coming out of the break, and he'll have Michelle Smallman for the rest of the show. Again, it's the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Welcome back to the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers is off to cover the Blues. Anthony Stalter's at Disney World. And I guess in fairness, uh, Jamie is he's covering a tower of terror of his own when it comes to the Blues this evening uh, as they are in action, hoping to get things going. Brad Thompson here with you. Michelle Smallman been filling in all day. Michelle, how you doing? I'm doing great, BT. It's great to see you. Great to talk to you. And uh, we have a lot to get into. We, we've had Look, a packed gonna, show today. We're going to break down the Blues fourth line. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> defensive pairings uh, that you and I uh, like the most. Or we could just get into some Cardinal baseball because that's what I like talking about most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but there is a parallel here. Marshy, apparently Blues fans have been calling for something. They want they're uh, well, well the cardinal fans want a blues thing they want their mm. own version of the ryan o'reilly trade where the heck did this come from what does it mean yeah so last week we were talking about tage thompson as the blues were gearing up to play the the buffalo buffaloes uh, i'm sorry the buffalo sabers and it's the buffaloes. Uh, it is the buffaloes and uh so we got a text we were kind of just having a conversation i believe it might have been a sports six-pack question but we wanted to somewhat expand upon the idea of the Cardinals getting that one final piece to put them over the top. And this particular Cardinal fan was saying that they want the Ryan O'Reilly type deal where you have, you know, you give up uh, a prospect and you get that final piece. And it had me thinking, I'm like, well, haven't we sort of already had that with the caliber of player that Ryan O'Reilly is? You have Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, and you acquire those, you know, through a trade. Uh, but of course, they haven't been that final piece that has gotten them over the over the hump. So, I, I, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, Michelle, I would just say uh, I wish it were that easy. I wish <laughs> it were that easy where you could just go out there and acquire a piece and be like, "There's the missing puzzle piece." I, I find that a very difficult concept. Now, maybe when you're looking at a team, Michelle, and, and maybe this will happen for the Cardinals this year, is they're going through the regular season and you, uh, you know, they're they're rolling along. Maybe they're dominating in the division, and they end up getting to the trade deadline and say, "Okay, this is what is missing. This is this is the chunk." Maybe it's an ace. Maybe it's a dominant lefty out of the bullpen. Maybe it's a, a platoon outfielder, whatever it is. I think uh, they've got enough platoon outfielders, but uh, let's just, you know, <laughs> Another for, one? for the sake of, yeah, for the sake of conversation, uh, maybe that ends up being kind of what they're missing. Like then I think that's where you can try to put the bow on top and make your team as complete as possible. But the concept of going out there and making that one trade, because I'm pretty sure everybody remembers how the beginning of the 2018-2019 eventual Stanley Cup season started. It didn't turn out so hot in the beginning. I mean, mm -hmm. things look bad. We kept saying, Michelle, wasn't the, the line that we used all the time? This team looks good on paper, but they <laughs> sucked on ice. Uh, they fired their coach. They went out and also had a lot of good players. But I don't think it's simply that easy. Michelle, I think Cardinal fans have kind of had that version without the cherry on top. Yeah, if we're making a direct comp here, Nolan Arenado is the Ryan O'Reilly piece. It's a, a leader on the team that's a, a leader on the field or on the ice. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly was stuck in Buffalo and had lost his love for the game and basically wanted to get out desperately. Nolan Arenado was in Colorado and despite signing the deal was like, we're never going to win. You don't want to put pieces around me. I need to get out of here. And maybe the Cardinals go out, like you mentioned, 
uh, at the deadline during the season, they identify a piece that they need and they go out and acquire. But it's never going to be to the caliber of player that Ryan O'Reilly was. If we look, if the Cardinals go out and win the World this World Series this season, Brad, I think we will look back on the acquisition of Nolan Arenado as the Ryan O'Reilly piece. It just didn't happen as immediately as it did with Ryan O'Reilly. So you don't think it'll have anything to do with the fact that the Cardinals acquire Shohei Otani at the trade deadline? You and Jamie both. Are you guys both on the Shohei Otani to the Cardinals train? Because if so, I'm buying a ticket. I Look, want that. If Jamie's been beating the drum so long, <laughs> I had to join the band. I, I felt like it was the right thing to do. It, it is It is funny, though, when you look back the last three big trades that the Cardinals made, and certainly the, the two that everybody thinks of, is, it's Goldie and Arenado. Each one of those trades, there's not a piece that went either way uh, on those trades. And when I say either way, I mean the, the other way, right, to either the Diamondbacks or, or to the Rockies where you look and say, oh, I can't believe I let that one go. I mean, hell, in the Arnado deal, they also kicked you like $51 million. Say, so go ahead and take him. Uh, so uh, those ones aren't going to end up biting you. The one, though, that, that always comes back in this one, and maybe there is that comp when it comes to what Tage Thompson is doing now, and nobody would have cared if you won a World Series with Marcelo Zuna, but that's the one where you look at that deal and be like, okay, well, there's here's your back end of that Ryan O'Reilly deal that everybody wants because Sandy Alcantara – just won uh, the most valuable, and that is spelled with an A. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but yes. valuable, V-A-L-U-A-B-L-E. Michelle, I'm sure you saw that, mm-hmm. right, on the, yes. uh, the Cy Young Award? I did, and you, you'd think that if you're going to etch it in stone, you'd do a spell check before. What, wouldn't you think that there's some sort of a thing that's already, like, cast or it's just <laughs> done? So. Like. Has this been going on for years? Is this, is this the first time we've actually looked? But either way, he's valuable or valuable, however you want. Like, he's really good. So is Zach Gallon that went in that deal. Uh, the highest prospect in that Marcelo Zuna deal, actually from the Cardinals side, was Magnuris Sierra at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, didn't really catch on, but the Cardinals needed a middle-of-the-order bat. They went out and got it. That's the thing when the Cardinals have made these deals for the impact players, and, and I'll get to, like, kind of a, a why they shouldn't be doing this anymore uh they had a significant need they had that huge hole in the middle of their order that was the case when they went out and made the deal for ozuna by the way uh he had a monster year the year before he hit three seven uh, three twelve thirty seven homers drove in over 120 like it was a big year and he was actually good for the cardinals for a couple of years as well but not to those numbers but you needed him you needed goldie you needed arenado now you have two of those pieces the, can I throw the, can I throw one more one more please. at you? Yes. Um I think had the Cardinals won the World Series last year, we would have looked at Jordan Montgomery as that guy as well. You gave up a, a valuable piece in Harrison Bader. I know he was injured at the time, but we saw when he was healthy what he did for the Yankees in the postseason. But they had a direct need and they went out and they acquired a piece. I think it's a great point, because especially with the polarizing nature and how good of a player that Harrison Bader is and will be. Harrison's going to be a stud. Like, he's going to be great in New York. He's going to be, I mean, they're going to love him out there, but he's going to be rocking their Bader jerseys, and Cardinal fans might end up hating that uh, at some point. But I think that's a really good point. It comes down to, like, if you win, nobody really cares uh, of what that deal looks like, what you end up giving away. But my thing is, the next big thing that's going to put the Cardinals over the top it's not going to be that big trade that is made. It's going to be that player from within the organization that turns into one of these pieces. So it's your Jordan Walker. I mean, that's the kind of guy that you're looking for, potentially maybe a Mason win, or it's guys that are already there, right? Tyler O'Neill. I know a lot of people have said, I'm done with Tyler O'Neill. Were you done with him two years ago when he put up these monster numbers? I don't I think wasn't. you were done then. 
No, I, I wasn't either. Uh, it, it's Dylan, right? It, it's uh, Nolan Gorman. It's Lars Newpart. Like these are the guys that are putting you over the top. So I'd be looking internally for that Ryan O'Reilly piece uh, instead of looking externally. I would love for that to happen, but I think me too. If I'm a Cardinals fan, Brad, listening to the segment, I'm I'm driving around on Olive Boulevard saying I'm sick of hoping that it comes internally. You know what? Look, you can say that all you want, but wait till you see Jordan Walker. I don't know if we've talked about this, Michelle, uh, but ceiling and a floor. okay? and I, I, I never like to set the expectations too high for young players. I don't think that's fair. The ceiling is Aaron Judge. okay? Ooh, okay. that's that's kind of your Good. ceiling. Hi. The floor, Giancarlo Stanton. So oh, wow. that's kind of what you're dealing with with Jordan Walker. That's a pretty good sandwich, you yeah, know? It's a pretty, pretty good ceiling and a floor. Feels and pretty good. I interviewed him, Brad. I'm sure you've spoken to him, too. I could not believe uh, the maturity level on a young kid like this. I just think he's got the mental – obviously, he's got the physical tools. I think he's got the mental makeup where it doesn't feel like the stage is going to be too big for him and that he's going to be able to hear those expectations that you just laid out for him, and he's going to take it in stride. I agree. I agree. I think he's got it all figured out. Now, there's another player that we get to see as a young kid. And now he's all grown up, and it looks like he's got things figured out. Is it time to reunite with a guy that looked like he was going to be the heir apparent? We'll talk about him, who it is, does he fit. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson here with you in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers is making his way downtown to get into all the Blues action as they get into it tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. I'm sure this one won't look like the rest of them. Chances are, right, Michelle? It's got to be better than last time. Yeah, of course. The tide has to turn at some point, right? Of course it does. And tonight (laughs) is the night. I think that uh, Bennington's got them all fired up as he tried to fight everybody. Uh, So they're going to be good to go. Anthony Stalter is on vacation. He'll be back next week. Michelle Smallman filling in and BT coming in here as well. Now, we had a uh, we were just having a conversation about the Cardinals, the missing piece. What do they need? Michelle, one of the biggest conversations we've had this entire offseason is is the Cardinals need to add to their starting rotation. You look at uh, at this rotation, I mean they they've got they've got their five, right? They got their guys. You got Michaelis, Wayno, Flaherty, Montgomery, Mats. I mean there's your five. Mats by the way is the only one that's under contract for past next year uh, as he signed his four-year deal last season. But there's a free agent that is still out there who is a starting pitcher who has Cardinal ties in the name of Michael Waka, who Michael Waka is apparently looking for a two-year deal. Uh, there are reports out there, Michelle, saying that he's looking for a deal worth around $30 million, and why not, right? Dream big. You're looking at free agency right now. You're the hottest arm that's still out on the market. When you look at Michael Waka, and I believe he's 31 now. We saw him made his make his debut at 21 years old. Coming off of a very nice season last year uh, with the Boston Red Sox. I mean, that's a big place to pitch. It's a tough mm-hmm. environment, 127 in the third innings, an ERA just over 3-3. He had a really good year. Do you believe, Michelle, that there is a fit in this rotation or this pitching staff uh, as a whole for Michael Waka? 
in this staff, in this yes. organization, no. And I know he's coming off a, a good year. And I know with Michael Waka, it's not about talent. It's about availability. He's battled injuries his entire career. We saw it here in St. Louis. Brad, we thought that we would be talking about him being the ace of the staff. We thought that he was going to be the next in line as Chris Carpenter passed it off to Adam Wainwright. We thought Adam Wainwright was going to pass it off to Michael Waka, And it just couldn't happen for him because of injuries. And... Last season with the Red Sox, 23 starts. He went 11-2. and two. And I look at the innings, too, Brad. 127 in a third inning. It was his highest total since 2017. So healthy and able to perform. But as the Cardinals, you have to wonder, how durable is that? How long are we going to see Michael Waka be able to sustain that health? And for that reason alone... I think that they've already gone down that road. I, I love what he's doing. I hope that he gets that two-year deal for 30 mil because I like Michael Walker as a person and a player, but I wouldn't have the stomach for it if I was the Cardinals. Well, who ends up coming out of your rotation, too, when you look at it? So if if Michael Waka was a guy that that you looked at and say, hey, he's a swing guy. If he's in the rotation, great. He can pitch out of the bullpen. He can eat bulk innings in the middle. He can bounce back after a couple of days. Then I would maybe take a stronger look. Now, I'm certainly not taking a strong look at two years, $30 million contract on a swing guy. Like, that's not going to happen. And the Cardinals, that has not been their M.O. They're looking for lower-hanging fruit, uh, which which does not make $15 million a year on average. That's the that checks out on the two-year 30 like that that <laughs> if he had the ability though to pitch out of the pen maybe i would think about him a little bit more but right now when you're looking at it obviously michaelis who just came off a 200 inning season he ain't coming out of the rotation wayno has got a one-year deal at 17.5 million dollars wayno is not pitching out of the bullpen it probably takes a lot to get that guy going every fifth day right so mm-hmm. like he's got his routine stick with that he's good to go Montgomery, you know what he is. You're paying him $10 million. Matt's, you're paying him $11 million to start. You could say, well, put Matt's in the pen. He'd be fine out there. He would be fine out there. That seems like a, a kind of a waste of an asset out in the pen, though, if he can do what you do in the rotation. The only guy that you look at, and it's mainly because of his health, is Flaherty. Flaherty's mm-hmm. the one where you say, okay, well, we don't know what we're going to get. Do you need to have a little bit more insurance? But I would look at this this staff, Michelle, and say they've got insurance galore. They've got so many different pieces. What they're missing, as we've talked about in the past, they're missing that prototypical ace. Mm-hmm. They're missing the guy that when the opposition in the postseason goes to bed, that's all they think about. They have that nightmare of Verlander, DeGrom, Scherzer, pick your ace, any ace. Like, that's the guy. Swing and miss. Might uh, might end up punching out 15. The Cardinals mm-hmm. just don't have that guy. But they have insurance aplenty. You've got Dakota Hudson still, and I'm sure somebody vomited in their car when I said his <laughs> name. But you got him. Like, you got him under contract. And I still believe that there's more with Dakota Hudson. I believe that he's going like, to, at some point, corral things and actually fill up the strike zone. But he's not making a ton of money. He's insurance right now. Jake Woodford is insurance. Jake has done nothing but earn opportunity after opportunity, and he keeps getting less opportunities. It kind of sucks. He's been grinding it out. It's tough, right? I that's, can't understand a, that. <laughs> I'm with you. It's a harsh gig, right, if you're Jake Woodford. And he's just he's just caught in between right now, and he's mm-hmm. a guy that maybe in another organization – would end up getting more chances to stick in the rotation. But right now, I mean, I'm not making a rotation with Woodford in it when I've got Michaelis, Wayno, Flaherty, Monty, and Mats. Like, I, I can't do that. But you got those two. You got Palante, who's already proven that he could do it. He was a good swing guy for you last year. You've got Zach Thompson. You've got Drew Verhagen. 
yeah, he's still on the team. I think a lot of people were wondering about Drew Verhagen. He's still around. You've got Matthew Libertor. You've got Connor Thomas, the left-hander that they recently put uh, on the 40-man roster who made some big strides in the Arizona Fall League last year. You've got Gordon Graceffo, who's got a high upside, who very well could be a part of things this year. Like, there are so many different pieces that they can throw at it. They've got enough back end of the rotation stuff. If you're going to go get somebody, go get somebody big. And those pieces that you just named, Brad, cheaper than uh, Michael Walker. Yes. And yes. Now, I don't know how you sell that, too, to your fan base. Jack Flaherty's had injury history, so we're looking for a little insurance. So we're going out and we're getting Michael Walker, a guy who also <laughs> has a big injury history. It's it's a, a risk with a, a high risk, high reward type deal. But I don't know how you sell that to the Cardinals fan base. And I also don't know why, if, if the Cardinals were looking at him as a pen— uh, to assume a pen roll, why that would be attractive to Michael Waka. He's saying, yeah, I just sure. came off this great year in Boston. I've proved that I'm durable and I've proved that I'm a rotation guy. I can't imagine that that would be something that's attractive to him. Yeah, there just doesn't seem to be a fit, right? Uh, the the fit for him is, is going to be a place that's going to give him an opportunity. So, and maybe the fit's not as as sexy as joining the Cardinals, as far as like from a winning t- uh, a winning perspective. Uh, the Orioles are a team that are still looking for an arm. They went out and signed Kyle Gibson. Uh, they made a trade here recently, bringing in Cole Irvin. But they they need somebody else in that rotation. Maybe ends up fitting there. Uh, but I still don't think he lands either, Michelle, at two years, 30 million. I think that he's setting the bar a little bit high, which is smart. You might as well try to do that. Uh, I, I believe that he'll probably crack the $10 million mark. The estimates for Michael Walker before this uh, before this offseason started is he was like right near the end of the top 50 prospects. I think they, they were estimating that he'd get a two-year, $16 million deal. So he's essentially looking to double that thing. I know this, though. I love Michael Walker. Uh, I, 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 I appreciate the fact that he has turned things around. He's gotten healthy. He looks like he's just got things figured out. I just don't believe him to be a fit in St. Louis, but wherever he lands, he's going to be good to go. It's Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. We got our NFL no huddle. That's coming up next. We're right back to the fast lane podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. We got the NFL No Huddle coming up with Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson. We do want to get you involved, though. You got that 101 ESPN app, don't you? You downloaded that at the App Store. If you got one of those Androids, they got a store, too, I'm pretty sure. Well, we need you to leave a mic drop, okay? Because we got the biggest question. Marshy, everybody knows what the biggest question is by now, but explain to them again what the biggest question is. Brad, if a listener has a question for us, it doesn't matter what it could be about. Could be Blues, could be Cardinals, could be the Chiefs taking on the Bengals. A lot going on last night in that Sunday night uh, game to see who goes to the Super Bowl. Whatever you want it to be about, it could be anything sports related, whatever. You just fire it our way using the Mic Drop app. 
That's it. It's that easy. Use the mic drop. You've always said, man, I would sound great on the radio. Well, this is your chance. It's the biggest question. Get your mic drop in. It's time for the NFL No Huddle. Marshy, what do you got for us? All right. From those two games yesterday, what player proved you guys wrong? And on the flip side, what player proved you right? I don't know if this qualifies, guys, but Patrick Mahomes proved me wrong yesterday. And not because I don't think he's amazing and not because I don't think that he is a quarterback capable of taking his team to the Super Bowl. But I thought that all of this rhetoric about the ankle was gamesmanship. I know that he was a full participant in practice. I know that he showed up to the podium without the boot and did not show any signs of limping. But I thought that that was a little bit to throw off the Bengals. Oh, he's fine. He's going to be there. But that maybe some of the offensive schemes would be toned back a little bit to not require him to to be mobile but he gutted through that injury and he put the team on his back and he went out there and and pushed the Chiefs through to the Super Bowl and he proved me wrong Uh, it doesn't really matter how injured he is he is still that guy no, for sure, and he's actually the one that I had for the the proving me right one because talking about Mahomes last week, said, so look, the biggest guys step up in the biggest roles, and that's exactly what Mahomes did. Now, I will say there might have been not even gamesmanship, but a, a knowledge that the cameras might be on you because after the first touchdown, it looked like he had a little bit more of a limp yeah. than he had before. He's like on the sidelines, and it looked like he's like got one leg shorter than the other as he knows the camera. Yeah, like, boy, totally. he must be in a lot of pain. Uh, yet he went out there, 326, a couple of touchdowns. He threw to 10 different receivers. So, I mean, this, this is that's when the cream rises to the top in the biggest spot. I don't have one specific player that proved me wrong. And this one's going to be completely unfair. But I'm wrong about the Niners' defense, apparently. Now, I get it. Okay, I get it. They didn't have a quarterback that could actually throw a pass. Like, that ends up being a real problem as Brock Purdy has to come into a game. They're three and out. They are absolutely gassed. But I thought they could put up maybe a little bit more of a fight. Once you didn't have a quarterback, the Eagles were going to go in win anyhow. But that was the talk leading into it. It's like, hey, are they going to be able to move the ball against the Niners' defense? The answer is absolutely yes. See, and conversely, the Eagles defense proved me right because when I was looking at this matchup, the Eagles defense has have just been so dominant all season. And I know Brock Purdy had showed composure and that he could fit right into Kyle Shanahan's scheme and get the job done. But I just did not know how that 49ers offense would stack up against an Eagles defense that piled up 70 sacks during the regular season, which is the third most in NFL history, and had a 52% pass rush win rate in the regular season, the best of all NFL teams. So the Eagles defense proved me right yesterday guys guys Brock Purdy according to Adam Schefter suffered a torn UCL that will sideline him six months per a source do you guys think the 49ers would have won that game yesterday with a healthy Brock Purdy I think they would have been in a better position, but I think the Eagles were better top to bottom. And again, as I just said, Brock Purdy, all credit to him for the way that he was playing up until that game. But until he showed that he could be the difference maker in a playoff game, I'm not going to give him that credit. Where I I look at somebody like Jalen Hurts and I thought he could be the X factor in that game. We didn't get to see Brock Purdy have the opportunity to show that he could be the X factor in the game. But until I saw it out of him, I I wasn't going to give it to him. So while I think the 49ers would have been in a better position, I don't think they would have won the game with Brock Purdy. I totally agree with you. It would have been better for all of us from an entertainment standpoint, unless you are yelling fly, Eagles fly, like, and uh, you've been an Eagles fan uh, from way back. It would have been more fun. 
but it was very evident watching them. Like, they were tougher in the trenches. That's where these games are won. We focus so much on the quarterback play, but on both sides of the ball, the Eagles got the push. They they did what they wanted. They manhandled the other side. Uh, so I would have loved to see a healthy Brock Purdy. And it does bring up really interesting question coming into next year. As Brock Purdy, he was fantastic. What was it, like week 13 on or something? Mm-hmm. He ended up taking over and was great. Now he's hurt. He's going to have Tommy John. He's out for for six months does that open the door again for trey lance does he run through it but i'd love to say that this game could have flipped on its head but uh, no i think that the result would have been the same it's the eagles heading to the super bowl and you mentioned the the 49ers quarterback situation brad adam Schefter tweets this let me just throw this at you okay so as you mentioned brock purdy torn ucl he's out six months garoppolo broken foot and he's a free agent. And Trey Lance fractured his fibula, ligament damage. He's had two surgeries on that ankle. So they had a tough decision to make before all of this, but now they're looking at three quarterback options all dealing with injuries. Yeah, it's a hot mess. They yeah. are they are a hot mess right now, and that's not exactly where you want to be. In, in a team that is is very sound everywhere else, right? And we talked about them being a, a team that is right now, really, they're kind of quarterback proof. Now it turns uh, when you when you have two of them hurt in in a uh, championship game, that ends up being a little bit of a problem. But they need to get that figured out. They need to do so quickly. Michelle, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes silencing the critics, playing on one foot. Uh, are there questions now though surrounding Joe Burrow after the loss in the AFC Championship game? No, I have no questions about Joe Burrow. I don't know about you, Brad, but uh, had had the redo on the down not happened. The Bengals, they got that stop on third down. They were going to force a punt. They were going to get the ball back and have a chance to take the lead. And I would have loved to see what Joe Burrow could have done with the ball in his hands in that position. Now, had he had the the redo not happened and he got the ball and he absolutely sunk up the joint and he choked, then I think maybe today we're having some questions about Joe Burrow. But I, I don't think that, at least from where I sit, I have any questions about Joe Cool. The only question I have is uh, when can I buy tickets to watch him? Like, that, like <laughs> I, he is just, he's one of those dudes. And we're going to see these battles uh, with, with him and Mahomes and with Josh Allen. Like, this is your new crop of talented quarterbacks. Will, will they turn out to be what Manning and, and Rivers and Brady and Roethlisberger, look, they, they might not end up living up to that. They, they might. Who knows? We're in a league that protects their passers uh, better than they ever have before. But I have no question of what he's going to be. This is a guy that went to the Super Bowl last year, got one win away, three points away uh, from it this year. The league is in pretty good hands with some of their quarterbacks, including Joe Burrow. Guys, for the Super Bowl on FanDuel or on uh, FanDuel Sportsbook right now, the Eagles are favored minus one and a half as of right now at this second. Should the Eagles be considered the favorites, though, heading into the Super Bowl? I'm saying yes, Michelle, uh, because I want to bet on the Chiefs. So the fact that this <laughs> this line has already moved, it was like two and a half this morning. So people are already uh, laying the wood over there to uh, to the Chiefs. Uh, I know from like a, from a team standpoint, just watching, I think that the Eagles top to bottom are a more complete team. To, to your point, talking about their defense and how they've stepped up here recently and they, they've been fantastic. Their defense is better than the defense that the Chiefs are rolling out there. But I am going to go with 
my whole best player on the field and going to follow him, even though he dealt with the high ankle sprain. He got through it in the game yesterday. I'm still going Mahomes. I understand why the, the odds makers would do this, but I don't think I can do it and have him favor. I agree with you, Brad. I think the Eagles are a better team top to bottom. I also think the Chiefs injuries probably uh, had something to do with the way that the line was laid. At one point yesterday, they're down their best linebacker, their best cornerback, their top three wide receivers, their tight end was banged up, and their quarterback was hobbling around. And I know that they have two weeks to get healthy, and maybe we'll see that line fluctuate a little bit, but I can't imagine that that didn't have some sort of an impact on where the line was set. Good call. No, yeah, no doubt. They, they are banged up. It's amazing, though, how healthy you can get. First of all, in two weeks. Like, two weeks is an eternity in a football season. When you get that bye week, it really, uh, you know, gets guys going again. And then when it's the biggest game of your life, mm-hmm. you tend to be able to put a little something extra into it. Brad, you mentioned that the Eagles, you believe they have a, a more complete team. However, the Chiefs, they have, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Do you put more faith in the overall team? or the quarterback when it comes to these two teams? Yeah, I was just talking about I, I I go with the quarterback. I still go with the most talented player on the field at that position, right? Uh, we saw Mahomes, and we've seen Mahomes be able to take over a game. And even uh, like, like talks, okay, get him outside of the pocket with that ankle. Well, look what he did to you. And then what are you going to do? Let him sit in the pocket and pick you apart? Like, I don't know what you do with that guy. I still lean towards the quarterback. Which way do you go, though, Michelle? Because it might not be the smartest way. I know that a starting quarterback is the most important currency in all sports. And Patrick Mahomes is about as safe of a bet as you can get. He He's an MVP. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He's a Super Bowl champion. Why wouldn't you pick that guy to win the Super Bowl? But I think the Eagles' lines are, are what's going to win the, them this game. The offensive line, the protection for Jalen Hurts, the defensive line. I gave you the numbers already with how great that they've been this year. And... Jalen Hurts is no one to sneeze at either. He has been remarkable this season. I know Mahomes is probably going to win the MVP, but had Jalen Hurts not gotten injured, he's in that conversation. He's right there. He might be winning it. And the Eagles offense has a lot of versatility. So even though Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback, I think when it comes to this Super Bowl, the Eagles have a more complete team and that that's why they're going to win this game. That's Michelle Smallman with her East Coast bias. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, you, you just you, you get there, and it's like uh, just whatever team is closest you're going with. She's going with the Eagles. She's got time to change her mind before she gets there. Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. We've got the biggest question coming up next. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Fast Lane's biggest question of the day. It is the Fast Lane. It is time for the biggest question of the day. And if one of your questions right now is, who is that? Well, this is Brad Thompson. It's Michelle Smallman. If your question is, where's Jamie? Well, he's working tonight. He's got pre and post game coverage on Valley Sports. And Anthony Stalter is uh, at Disney World. So I'm sure he's broke by now. Uh, so <laughs> it's biggest question of the daytime. Marshy is the gatekeeper, Michelle, for the biggest question of the day. I know we get a ton of mic drops that come in. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of different texts that come 
in mm-hmm. uh, to the Air Comfort Service text line. And by now, you should know the phone number, 314-399-9646. If you ever want to get in on the show, that's the way to do it. Marshy, what is the biggest question of the day? Uh, this Guys, this one comes from Mike. My biggest question of the day is for both you guys. I'm wondering, what is the worst display of sportsmanship from parents that either of you have ever seen? Worst display, Michelle. Is it your dad at soccer? No, my dad was an amazing sport, Brad. He's he's yeah, actually, if you look up sportsmanship in the dictionary, Tony Smallman right there. Um, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an unbelievable ambassador for sportsmanship. I do remember, though, one time when I was playing... Um, I don't know what the what you call little league soccer, whatever it was, um, you know, the youth soccer that my team beat another team and the dads that were coaching that team wouldn't shake our coaches' hands because they were so bummed out that they lost. And even as Are a kid, serious? yeah, and even as a kid, I remember being like, that is so lame. Like, grow up, get a life. <laughs> if, if you're that upset about eight-year-old girl soccer that you can't shake the opposition's hand, I think you need to self-assess a little bit. I, yeah, for sure. Honestly, uh, there are so many good coaches that are doing it right out there, but there are so many that are maybe in it for the wrong reason or, or do the. I don't have one specific uh, I- example, but one that absolutely drives me crazy. And it's hard, too. Like, there are times where I'm sitting there and I'm, like, just biting my thumb, like, oh, just don't say anything. Just, <laughs> just don't. Uh, but I, I hate it so much when parents get on umpires and get on officials. These guys aren't getting paid enough money to be out there. They're not going to be perfect. I think that's a great learning lesson for your kids, that there are going to be things that do not go their way, uh, that that there are going to be calls, that there are going to be wrongs in their life. If you continue to dwell on them or if you're just yelling at somebody about it, guess what your kid's going to think it's okay to do? do exactly what you're doing i hate that so much and especially like a lot of these umpires in baseball games these are like high school kids trying to make a little bit more money they don't want to get yelled at they're they're trying to do the best job that they could possibly do uh that absolutely drives me nuts when i see that and i, I think that we need to remember as parents when we're out there coaching or you are in the stands that you're in it for your kids like you're you're in it to watch them to encourage them you want them to get better and better and and trust me there there are so many things when i'm watching games where it's like how on earth is this going on right now but you figure out ways to have whatever that conversation is with your kid i hate it when people are screaming at their kid when they're in the batter's box he's got one eye on his dad out there in the stands and he's got one eye on the pitcher like that's a very tough way uh to go out there and succeed just encourage your kids man i think that's the biggest part yeah i'm sure you see a lot of tough stuff with parents brad i mean and it's got to be very difficult for you as someone who has i don't know won a world series and who's played professional baseball and who uh talks about it every day for a living who's boots on the ground in it to go to youth baseball games and see parents saying things that are probably so incorrect incorrect and obnoxious yeah, but but I understand to the emotion of it, right? Everybody gets mm-hmm. caught up in it, but you got to remember what you're doing, right? You care, you want to win, and I think it is important for kids to learn how to win too, and learn how to like fight as a team. But it's also really important to learn like what we were just talking about—that not everything's going to go your way, and the only thing that you can focus on is the next pitch. The only thing that you focus on is like the next thing. Uh, that you have the opportunity to do. By the way, we get a text into the Air Comfort Service text line, uh, and it, it simply says, wait, blackout rage guy hates people complaining at officials. Okay, <laughs> different. 
different. We're talking youth baseball. My yeah. blackout rage didn't really kick in until about college, I don't think, when it, when it really started uh, getting more and more competitive. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. But yes, yes, it didn't kick in in youth sports. And, and if you're going to come at Brad, at least identify him correctly. He's not just rage blackout guy. He's puppy kicker guy, okay? Didn't need Michelle. your help. Uh, <laughs> didn't need your help at all, Michelle. Uh, by the way, I I, I I don't know if I told you, I do have a new puppy in the Thompson household. You so we, do? We got a new puppy. Yeah, I quit doing radio full-time, and we got another full-time job running around the house. Amazing. So, uh, give me the and, stats. Uh, I will just say, well, I haven't kicked it. That, um, that's, <laughs> Zero that's kicks. Sure. Amazing. Brad, did you land on a name? Uh, you know what? Uh, so we did have this conversation when we were doing the show last week, and we were kicking around. We tried a few different names. No, you're names. kicking she around? Came... Oh. <laughs> ah, dang it. She came <laughs> with the name of uh, of Poppy, right, from, from the uh, from the shelter, and she oh. knew her name. Like, she was, like, spot on. She knew it. But okay. I didn't love it. I didn't love mm-hmm. the name. So we kicked around a few different ones. Dang, I got to quit using that. <laughs> we, <laughs> you just started with zero we kicks, tried. and now we're kicking a lot around. We tried a few different names uh, on. I, I like the name Luna. It just wasn't fitting and then the dog just kept staring the other direction so we landed back on poppy so it is poppy uh even though i don't love the name is she knows it she's good she had her first day of dog daycare she also went to daycare and training it's a six-week program michelle this dog better be good at the end of things i'm sure she will and i know it's probably spelled differently i'm imagining poppy p-o-p-p-y like the that is how it's spelled However, uh. Uh, in a Cardinals household, the name Poppy do, does sometimes invoke some tough feelings. 2013, ring a bell? I get it. Yeah, I get it. it's a tough name in St. Louis, Poppy. Well, here's what I would say. I credit all of the Cardinals pitchers for continuing to challenge him. You know, he's not going <laughs> to hit my fastball. I like that that feeling that they end up having. Oh, by the way, real quick, going back to the, the like, parents and different things, there's so many parents that are doing it right, and there are so many parents that, like, pour into their kids. I guarantee mm-hmm. you right now, we've got a bunch of parents listening in the car. You're driving your kid to something, or you're picking them up from something, or you are, are heading to another one. you got multiple kids, different places. Uh, you're you're doing it right one thing if you do get a chance we were talking about the parents yelling at the umpires do not ever let your kid talk back to an official don't ever let it happen and one thing that i try to have my son do after games when i'm around is go thank him go thank the umpire say hey, thank you very much whether you won whether you lost like thank you for being out here uh respect like common respect is something we don't have enough of in, yeah. in our culture right now so we could kind of teach them at a youth level because i just go i grew up as did you michelle playing sports and like there was that camaraderie that is there mm-hmm. and there was always like you'd always learn things you'd learn things from winning from losing playing in tournaments whatever it is um i i don't i feel like you're missing an opportunity if you're not teaching these these kids these, these young boys and girls to like grow as humans so thank your coaches thank your you know officials that are out there just be good sports it's an important continue to harp on as a parent no doubt Michelle, uh, uh, Marshy, do we have any more uh, big, uh, big questions, or is that it, it's just one big question? Just one right? big this is question. First big question. Same. I think we nailed. The, I think we nailed it. It was a great question, and uh, everybody that's heading to your youth sports right now in the freezing cold, good for you. Have some fun. Go be a good sport. All right. It's Michelle Smallman. It's Brad Thompson. We're gonna catch you up on what you missed. Michelle's actually going to catch me up on what I missed because she's done the entire show. I've just caught up in the last hour. What you missed is next on 101. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
It's fast lane with Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson, Jamie Rivers has headed downtown. He's going to get you ready for the action on Bally Sports. You can hear all the action right here on 101 ESPN following the fast lane as the Blues take on the Winnipeg Jets. Our guy Alex Ferrario, he's got you covered until puck drop at o'clock. And uh, look, you have missed a lot on the show today. Broke down. You guys talked all football early on, right? Championship Sunday breakdown. Michelle, when, when you were looking at this weekend and mm -hmm. the games yesterday, what was your biggest takeaway from the weekend? Was there one part that really stuck to you that happened yesterday? I think my biggest takeaway, Brad, is that I went into the weekend thinking that the Eagles were the most complete team, and I walked away from the, the weekend thinking that the Eagles were the most complete team. Now, I don't know if we really saw them be tested because we did have a four-string quarterback that they had to deal with and an injured Brock Purdy. I mean, when at some point in the broadcast they're talking about Christian McCaffrey being the next guy up at quarterback, the Eagles are in a pretty comfortable spot. So even though they weren't tested, I still think my biggest takeaway was that I think that they're the best team and that I think that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Greg Wyshynski, he was on the program as well. We talked all about the Blues, how Jordan Bennington is the new enforcer. For all the things that you missed, you can download the podcast right there on 101 ESPN. All the podcast is brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto. All right. Do we have any criticisms? Do we have any compliments, Marshy? How's the text line treating us today? You, we can get all the criticisms of Jamie out of the way right now if you want to. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually going to start with, uh, with Jamie. Uh, so... During the sports six-pack, unfortunately, we only made it through three questions. Mm -hmm. They were three great questions, uh, but we've been ridiculed in the past for the lack of six questions. From the 480 breaking news, Jamie can't finish off a six-pack, and I'm not sure if that's in reference to actual drinks or the sports six-pack. I'm thinking the sports six-pack because we know how Jamie uh, is after the shows. Yeah, Jamie can finish uh, a six-pack or a case or whatever, in fact, he needs to finish or a handle or a fifth. or you know, Jamie, bourbon. Yeah, he's fine. He's going to be fine with that. I will ask this question, though, uh, Michelle, and you, you've done the fast lane forever. You've produced it. You've been on the show. Uh, when, when you're doing the sports six-pack, would you rather get through all six questions or would you rather have three that spur a really good conversation? Uh, Brad, in every aspect of my life, it's quality over quantity. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Give me the totally. three good ones over the six. Now, I, I could say if we wanted to, you could spread it out over two segments and you could buy yourself another segment that way. But you have so much content to get into. I'm with you. Uh, the three over the six. You said it perfect. We have one from the 618. Missed you, MS. That's for you, Michelle. Glad to hear you. Well, it's great to be on in St. Louis. I miss St. Louis terribly, so I'm glad at least one person outside of my parents in St. Louis missed me too. I miss you too, Michelle. Oh, we thanks, all miss Brad. you. It's fun doing this. It's funny, like we talked about it when you were filling in over the holidays. And you and I had the opportunity to do a couple of shows together that we'd worked together for the longest time, but you and I had never actually done a show, just you and I. And look, it's been fun. I filled in for the last hour, so I'm cheating. Michelle, by the way, is back on again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Her and Jamie will be with you the whole time. I'll be filling in the rest of the week. So we appreciate you filling in because your hours, your hours are not uh, the easiest. What does your night look like after this? 
So after this, I'm just going to go home and watch the Blues game because I'm oh, going to, okay. to prep for tomorrow. Um, but yeah, my hours are all over the place. Basically, I'm on call for ESPN. I need to do a better job about posting when I'm on, but sometimes they'll have me doing the the late night Sports Center, which goes live at 1 a.m. Eastern. I mm. the past couple shows have been doing all um, NFL Sundays, so I was live from. 5 p.m. until 9 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays during the playoffs. So uh, I kind of mix and match my hours, but it's never consistent. So I went from hosting a morning show to being up late night on on nights and weekends. Michelle's like the Brendan Donovan of, <laughs> uh, of ESPN over there. Give me a position. Give me a time slot. We'll do it all. We got any more criticisms or compliments? Absolutely. We have one from the 618. BT and Michelle, awesome. Two of my favorite ESPN people. No offense to Jamie. Will one or both of you be filling in the rest of the week? We just answered that question. Yeah, just did, just did it. Michelle, tomorrow I'll be in the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll be in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The following week, too, is it's Fastlane Vacation Weeks. Uh-huh. So Anthony is at Disney currently, uh, which I think half of our station has gone to Disney in the last week, Disney World, because Ferrario just got back. Uh, BK uh, just got back from uh, from Disney. Or is Ferrario going? No, Ferrario's going this week. BK just got back. So, look, we got a lot of Disney people. And then Jamie is headed to Mexico. So watch out for uh, – watch out in Mexico because Jamie's coming. You, yeah. You've been one. <laughs> Jamie's vacation is more my speed, Brad. I am not a Disney person. Disney terrifies me. What terrifies you? Is it all the people and all the kids and all the waiting in line? I – you know, working in sports, I'm used to fanatics. So you think that Disney wouldn't scare me, but I ran a half marathon there and the Disney fanatics are a little much for me. I, I got to be honest. I understand that parents are doing their kids a solid by taking them to Disney. You are the real MVPs by spending the money and dealing with the heat and the lines and the crying and the begging for things, uh, merchandise. I mean, you guys are the real MVPs. You love your kids so much that you do that. That is not a vacation to me. That is work. I, I do not find one component of that entertaining and as an adult with no kids i would like to live in my adulthood not revisit my childhood i know other people like to but there's just nothing about it that appeals to me you don't want epcot maybe more your speed then because epcot you can have drinks in every country which is great uh i always enjoyed that one i decided the last time we did disney is it was a couple of years ago that it is about the kids right make their memories i mean we did uh uh, dinner with like Beauty and the Beast, like in the castle and nice. stuff like that. I'd rather just have a cheeseburger. It would have been way <laughs> cheaper. Uh, but I did also decide like I'm getting some bang for my buck here too. Like I'm going on some of these rides that I want to go on. Okay. So I took my son, my son Dylan, and I just told him, I, I go, dude, these are going to be fine. You're going to be good to go. You got it. And he's like, okay, if you say so. We went on the rock and roller coaster at Hollywood <laughs> Studios. Dylan passed out on the roller coaster. No. I looked next to me. I'm like, that was awesome, right? And he's limp. Like, he's like, his head's down, and he passed out, Michelle, on no. the roller coaster. Yes, I had to, I had to like, wake him up <laughs> and I tell him, like, don't, don't tell mom. And then and get him off. And there was, a, there was another kid that had bailed out. He waited in line the whole time. He bailed out right before the, uh, right before the ride. And he was in the little area right afterwards. You know, they run you through the gift shops or whatever. And my son is still like a little woozy. And he tells the kid, he goes, you made a great decision. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But I got to ride the rock and roller coaster. So I have so many follow up questions. I know we're running close on time. Go Um, ahead. Did that get caught on camera at all? Because I know that there's the photos that they take during some of the rides. Did your son being passed out on the rock and roller coaster get caught on film? 
No, I think that we got the picture before he was out. Oh like it was God. like the, you see the face, and it's like kind of like a scream, <laughs> and then he was gone. Like just, yeah, not wow. the best parenting, uh, but I got to go on the ride, and it made me happier. Well, that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I paid for the trip. Like, let me ride the that's roller coaster right. I want. I'm not going to stand there like a loser by myself the entire time waiting in line. Like, somebody's got to come with me. He's the wingman. You also get, got him some street cred because he survived. He passed out and he, he persevered. Yes, he was fine. And I got to tell you, I didn't talk him into too many more roller coasters <laughs> after that. We got one more, Marshy. We do. Uh, this is from Swan. Great show today, guys. Love getting uh, to hear Michelle and BT back on the fast lane and airwaves again. Enjoy y'all's day. And Marshy, congrats on saving the day again. Thank you, Swan. It's my third save for the gauntlet. BT, uh, very stressful without that fourth guy there. It's tough, but you guys are ready for it. You always are, and uh, you saved the day yet again. I knew you would do it. It's Michelle Smallman, Brad Thompson, Andrew Marsh. You're going to hear Michelle back on with Jamie Rivers tomorrow. She'll be there the entire show, the fast lane from 2 to 6. You have got Blues, Winnipeg Jets, Puck Drop coming up here in, uh, in about an hour, and Alex Ferrario's got you covered. It's fast lane. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.